What's up, guys? Welcome back to the show. If you've already heard about the two great sponsors of this show, CoinKite and River, skip ahead 60 seconds. If not, permit me that time to tell you why they might be of interest to you. CoinKite offers the products you need to store and use your Bitcoin. The cold card is a time-tested Bitcoin-only hardware wallet used by many Bitcoiners to securely self-custody their Bitcoin. For spending, they've recently introduced a line of NFC cards offering new and simple methods for securely signing transactions using the tap signer card and exchanging Bitcoin off-chain using the SATS card. Finally, the Block Clock lineup, a home or office accessory loved by Bitcoin enthusiasts all over for easily keeping an eye on things like block height, SATS per dollar, Bitcoin price, and much more. To get more info about their excellent lineup of products, visit coinkite.com. River allows you to securely buy Bitcoin, zero fee dollar cost average, and purchase hosted mining rigs. Also, their Lightning service enables developers and companies to integrate Lightning payments into their applications without having to run any Lightning infrastructure themselves. I recommend River because of their dedication to service, stellar team, and in-house approach to building a next-generation financial services business on Bitcoin. To get started, visit river.com today. All right, gents, we're live. Um, it's good to see you all again. I feel like it's been a while, um, but such is the case with Bitcoin time. Sometimes it feels like forever in between events, and at the same time, it feels like two years passes in you know in no time. So, how are you? First of all, really great. Yeah, we uh, Jeff and I uh, certainly went on a on a interesting tour of uh, countries that I'm so happy that I went to because I don't think I ever would have uh, certainly gone to Bulgaria if we weren't uh, so uh, lucky to get invited over there. So really beautiful country, a lot of great people uh, memories forever, right? That's my, my opinion. Anyway, Jeff, that was amazing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You guys have been doing a lot of moving around since we spoke right after the conference last time. Um, and Foss and Booth, I know you've been to, or, yeah, possibly. I know you've been to Madeira and Eastern Europe and the conference in Amsterdam and all sorts of stuff. So, I mean, first of all, are you guys tired of going to Bitcoin conferences yet? Or, you know, what's the what's the impression here? I, I'm not tired of going to Bitcoin conferences because you meet all, 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 all you meet everybody in the space. And that's that's incredible. So I met yeah. uh, in person like someone like Bitcoin Ollie. OK who, you, you know, she, it, it's a she, most people know that. And she's, uh, she's hidden behind an avatar because she has a pretty interesting job in real life. But uh, what a nice, nice lady um, that you get to meet in person, give them hugs, uh, see their real uh, concerns about the world. Uh, another lady who made a, a keychain for, for both of us, right, Jeff? That uh, <laughs> a personalized keychain. Just people who really care. And yep. then a shout out to the guys in Edinburgh that, uh, you know, they, they were, they were uh, a crypto podcast, but they went full on Bitcoin, understand the difference between uh, crypto and Bitcoin, and they just put on a great show. So they're going to try and do it again next year uh, in, a, in a bigger way. There was about 500 people there in Edinburgh this year, and they're going to try and do it next year, potentially in London. I'm not sure if they've made the final decision or whatever, but uh, I'll tell you, it's uh, it's it's a smaller gathering than uh, than some of the North American conferences, but the level of enthusiasm is is uh, absolutely on par, if not higher, would be my opinion, right, Jeff? 
Yeah, it's it's funny you say that. So the Bulgaria group too, I oh, think, yeah. was more um, was was crypto generally, probably more uh, more into Bitcoin, more understood Bitcoin when we when we first went on their podcasts. But 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 then they've both groups have completely switched to all in on Bitcoin, and I think what that tells you is how misunderstood this is for most of the world. Um, and, but once people understand it at, at that base level and really have taken the time to go understand, understand it, they really understand that there is no other solution. This is the solution. So it's, it's cool to watch that. It's, it's cool to experience people going through that path and, and, and understanding it. What's your sense of like where this is a tricky question to answer because it's so subjective, but what's your sense about where the thinking of around Bitcoin is at. So people at the conference are obviously highly self-selected for being enthusiastic about it all. But, you know, on the, in the in-betweens, you guys talk to a lot of different people, maybe they're, you know, politicians or, you know, other, other people from different walks of life. And what's your sense about how people are thinking about Bitcoin, especially in the context of all the stuff that's happened this year, which would I think to us seem to be pointing like red flashing lights at Bitcoin. But of course, you know, we live in clown world and those, those lights can be distorted for many people. So what, you know, what, what's your impression of the general mood around Bitcoin as you guys have traveled around so much? Let me take that first philosophy if it's okay. Um, so even at the Bitcoin conferences, there is such a le different level of misunderstanding of understanding. So in, in these conferences, I would say, very few, like five percent, ten percent, understood it at that at that depth. Bulgaria yeah. probably more than that number, um, but uh, but certainly in Scotland, uh, in, in Scotland, less uh, a, a lower number. And then, and so that's even at the conferences, and that's where you get these conferences. And once they that people understand it from a whole bunch of different ways, kind of different ways into Bitcoin, and something clicks for them then they can better explain it to other people. So it tell then and the, those people spread it around. But I came back from that and I've spent the last two days in, in, in full days, something called creative destruction lab. And it's one of the uh, top accelerators in the world. Um, and the way it works is entrepreneurs like myself essentially donate our time for, and, and take uh, early entrepreneurs through a, through a process to, get them out the side other side and create a ton of value and the amount of value that's come out of this creative destruction lab has been it's staggering how many billions of dollars has been created in value out of this lab and one of the streams i was in for an entire day was the climate stream and for me you know my my my, my take here i'm not against the entrepreneurs trying to solve this these problems but the problems can't be solved through the system and so I, many of the mentors, many of the organizations, organizers of the whole, whole creative destruction lab, super smart, wealthy hedge funds, venture capital, everything else. Brilliant. Most have read my book and, and they still, and, and, and they still come back to thinking you can solve it from the system. And, and so I, I'm having this conversation. I'm of two minds. I, I want to help the entrepreneurs, but everything I do in that, in, in, in that system, if the entrepreneurs win and create value, whether it's new energy, whether it's, or, uh, if they create value, then the existing system has to offset that value by printing more money. 
And, and trying to explain that to a whole bunch of um, seemingly smart people, what you realize, and really nice people, what you realize is how far the rest of the world is away from this. We're so early. Jeff, oh, I have oh, uh, go ahead, sorry, Greg. I, I have a very similar frustration on this particular topic. So um, to me, it just seems like how in the world can we possibly expect things to be optimized between producers and consumers if you don't have some type of free and open cost of capital that's that's taking place around the world? I How can people think that we're not going to run into uh, issues, environmental issues and overconsumption issues if you're totally mutilating this this keystone of conducting economic calculation. And what I found after talking to so many people about this particular idea, people have no clue how to do economic calculation. People have no idea how to, how to figure out what something's worth. And I just, I, I, I attribute it back to um, just the education system is so broke around this particular topic. In fact, if you go to a college today, and study business or study economics, you know how they're going to teach you how to value something? They're going to tell you to go study the volatility over some random period of time. Okay. And, and that's really important because you might pick five years, you might pick 10 years, and you might not even have a credit event in that period that you're selecting to look at the volatility in. And then you're doing this cap, cap M model to figure out what a company's worth. And you never even look at the core assets that sit on the balance sheet and whether they're being impaired in a competitive marketplace. That's insane, right? That's insane. And the reason it's insane is because if we go back to a first principles kind of thinking and we say, Hey, uh, this coffee shop on main street, what's it worth? Right. Is there 10 more coffee shops also on Main Street competing with this one? Or are they kind of by themselves? Do they have some type of competitive moat that prevents other coffee shops from coming in here? Do they have free cash flows? Do they actually make money after they pay all their employees and pay their taxes at the end of the year? And, and, after, and if they do that, how stable are those cash flows? How am I going to value those cash flows against everything else in this town that I could go out and buy for the same, you know, similar amount of money? Nobody thinks like this. And I think the reason why we're seeing it is nobody owns anything. Nobody owns anything. They're, they're debt slaves. That's exactly it. You're just, and if, and if you, because if you never own any equity, right, you don't, you're not doing these calculations. And if the, if the markets are volatile all, all over the place, I mean, look at, look at how a realtor values a property. They go into the neighborhood, they look around and like, oh, well, this one was this, this amount for the last couple of months. So this one here is similar square footage. So it's that. But none of them are looking at the, the interest rates, the trend of the interest rates and how you've actually seen the house. Like the reason the rentals, you, you shot us a note earlier, John, uh, about the real estate market and, and the rental market, both collapsing simultaneously. And when you look at just interest rates, which... And this is where I get very frustrated with economic calculation is it all starts with inflation. That's where you, the debasement rate is where you start. And then the credit and, and the risk of the, of the credit that's being constructed and, and built, the premium that's built into that above 
the debasement rate. And then equity, which is a higher tier, should give you even a higher premium above those, assuming we're dealing with a sound currency. Like all these things are lost on everybody. So when we're talking about Bitcoin and how it's solving the environmental issues, right? It's no wonder nobody understands Jeff's point because he's so far upstream that it's, it's lost on everybody because they've been, they've been purposely uh, not taught how to conduct economic calculation. It's crazy. So the, the cool crazy. thing is, though, having spent a couple of weeks with Jeff, and you got to understand, guys, I mean, you know, Jeff, you, you are, you know, a, a, a source of such incredible knowledge. But, you know, the guys on Twitter give me a hard time because I keep repeating myself. They call it Bitcoin FOSS bingo or whatever, right? Because I just keep <laughs> saying the same line over and over. But sometimes that. you have to say it so often because people really are thick, right? Like they just, you know, but if there's if they're educated as as uh, as Preston was saying in a in a system, it takes a long time to 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 remove that uh, that bias. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to come back to was in in Edinburgh. These are people that now know there's a problem. What happened with their gilts market in, in, in the UK was absolutely uh, life-changing for certain pensioners and certain pension plans, essentially. So I, I think, Jeff, we would all agree, some of them were rookies in the crowd, but they were there because they knew there was something wrong and they want to see other... I, I got a couple of personal uh, direct messages saying, you know, I, I came with my, my sister... And she was, you know, skeptical. And now she just wants to learn more and more. And where do we go for that education? I was able to direct them to Looking Glass, uh, the Looking Glass platform, for example. But let's go right back to what you said, Preston. We're taught in school that risk is volatility, right? In the financial courses. But here's the funny thing. A straight line that goes from the top left to the bottom right of a graph has no volatility, but if that's your price over time and it goes down to zero with no volatility, is that a low risk investment? No, absolutely not. Except we're taught that risk is volatility and value at risk measurement in all sorts of uh, capital asset pricing models and everything. I'm gonna quote Larry Lepard here. In an environment where interest rates are forced towards zero, cash flows attain infinite value. Exactly especially when you use the, per, the in perpetuity one over R minus G, where now everybody is, is focusing on the growth aspect. Did you guys see Amazon's results today? Yeah. They were absolutely atrocious, okay? That company is a dumpster fire. They well, lose money. Think about money. all their CapEx. Think okay. about their CapEx. It's insane. Negative free cash flow, stock-based compensation. Amazon Web Services, which is their golden boy, is growing slower than it ever has. It's hilarious that this company is still worth, you know, now the, the reality is, yeah, it might finally grow into its footprint, but it never has up until now. It will never make money internationally. And the market is still valuing it as a growth stock. Yeah, that's fine. But if you lose money on every single sale, that growth hits a wall pretty hard when you can't refinance and, you know, you can't use zero debt, zero interest rate debt levels to, uh, to, to fund your CapEx. So we are in a world of hurt. Um, just want to go back to, to one thing that, uh, that, that I experienced with Jeff. It's funny, buddy. Uh, uh, you know, I hear you say things, but until you hear it and feel it, 
over time. You got to give people time to, to let it permeate osmosis, right? So I got my PhD, my Jeff Booth PhD over three weeks. Um, it, not everyone in the world is that lucky and you have to give them a chance to read your book more than once, uh, to listen to what you say. It's lost on me some of the time. And I actually think that, you know, I, I understand things uh, better than the average person. So keep up the good work, fellas. Uh, it's not easy because this is changing the system and we're trying to measure something outside of the system that we're used to measuring. That's actually why it's so, that's actually why it's so exciting. And I think that's why John uh, speaking, I know we've spoke, spoke lots about this at conferences. I think the people that are really uh, intrigued by this space, they're, they're naturally curious. They're open. Mm -hmm. They want to learn. Um, and this is something that, it just you're you're constantly learning because it changes all of your previous uh we've never had something like this the world has never had something like this mm. so our filter looking back at all of the world all history couldn't couldn't like all of those models like say the sailor would say would be broken because we've the history has never had something that has been decentralized and secure uh, like this at the base layer so so that means that means, and maybe that's why entrepreneurs or engineers or people that understand systems can do it because see it first because they're intuiting what it'll look like instead of measuring what it because the measurement comes from the system. Mm. And when when you're when you're when you're an entrepreneur, you have to understand what people will do given a different variable. You have to you have to build something that doesn't exist today. And you have to take that risk, that capital risks, that time risk on the bet that you're right. Um, and then the behavior change because you're right, because you've delivered the more value. You also have to predict the behavior change and you have to predict what is going to the competitive landscape going to look like with that behavior change and what's going to rush it. And so, so maybe just, maybe just this, what I've done all my life and entrepreneur watching that maybe that gave me a, a unique skill set to look at this but that you see the the highest what i see in this and this is why it's so exciting um a space you see the most curious people around you feel you see just active learning and and if 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 you're one of those people that are that are constantly trying to learn the space is <laughs> it's never ending mm -hmm. you found a crowd of people who know something's wrong and, and this is really important, I would put it all caps and they're optimistic and know, and know that a solution can be found to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. That's the community. Totally. And it's really exciting to see that because I think if you look around the world, if you lined up a hundred people, close to 99 of them would say, yeah, the, the world is in a bad spot. It's trending in a worse direction. And I think it's even going to be worse. And there's no solution. And there's no, and there's no solution. Don't even, in fact, don't even try to find a solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, that's another, you know, one of the hallmarks of meeting all these people at the conferences is always humility because not only are you excited by the prospect of the solution to this gargantuan problem that you perceive, but you know how multifaceted or complex, or you can only sniff out some of the implications. And so that kind of, well, that, that instills a sense of humility because you know there's so much about it, both about what it is and how it functions now today and the implications for it in the future that you don't know that everyone's just there to kind of learn. 
right? Doesn't, you know, Jeff learning from Foss, Foss learning from Preston, Preston learning from Sailor, Sailor learning from, you know, oh, no works. one's, everyone can, it, it, yeah, it, everyone learns from everybody. It, it's how it works. Um, it, it, and that's why people it, with egos come in and they get spanked, you know, by everybody because you're like, uh-uh, not around here. <laughs> you know, that's, that's not how we get down. That creative distraction lab that I was telling you about. So I, I, I won an award that was the mentor of the year award. And I'm not telling you this, for, but this was what I said when I won the award. And I mean, every minute, of, every, every word of it. I said, you're, you're around all of these really smart people and you're, uh, and you're, you're kind of helping entrepreneurs and you're framing what they should do and giving them your time um, to be able to do this. And you're waiting to talk. And I'm, I'm saying, I'm waiting to talk. And I'm, I think I have the best idea for that entrepreneur. The person beside me says something that blows me away. And I, and I think that's the best idea I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then my toolbox just got bigger. My toolbox get, got a lot bigger. So that's how we learn. We learn if, if, if you're around a whole bunch of people that are that curious and open to other people getting sharpening your tool and building your toolbox, that's how we all learn. And so this, this space is that, and that's, what's so fun about it. The, now you have to go back and you say, but we didn't always know this. Right. And so now I have to put myself in the same thing that you do with entrepreneurs. I never had all these skills when I started out and it's easy to, to it's easy to look and say, now I know all this and look down at somebody who else who doesn't. And that's the problem. And that's where, that's where, and, and Foss, you do a really good job. Actually, everybody on this call does a really good job of it. Meet people where they are, not where you are. Yeah. Okay. Um, because, because they're just start many, most people are just starting their journey. And one of favorite, I have a favorite quote. I used it today because I got on a podcast or at, on a, uh, the, the blue collar Bitcoin guys, and I had a debate with uh, Joe uh, Calasari, if I'm butchering his last name, but I know you and him, uh, Preston. And, and quite honestly, you know, I went in there a little nervous and it turned out to be a, uh, a very productive debate. Um, I saw his angle on certain things. And I think, you know, he's graciously said that he, uh, he understands my position or whatever. And mo mostly we agreed on, on, every, on, on most of it. And then we agreed to disagree, which is fine. But there's a favorite quote I have from General Patton, which says, if everybody is thinking alike, then somebody isn't thinking. Mm -hmm. And that's what I love about the Bitcoin community, right? Like, you know, there, there are certain things that, you know, I just won't see it eye, eye to eye with the, with the group. It doesn't mean I'm right. It's just that, you know, my opinion might be different and I choose to manage risk a little differently than other people uh, uh, choose to manage risk. But I think by and large, this is a community that wants to learn. Um, continuous learning is something that uh, I, I certainly strive for. I think Preston, you would agree. And Jeff, obviously, because, you know, the world will change using your, your, uh, uh, line, Jeff, uh, there will be a hundred years of change in the next decade, right? In the next 10 years, we will see a hundred years worth of change. And that's pretty uh, overwhelming for a guy that's 60 years old, because, you know, I've seen a lot of change and I can't imagine that we're going to see that much change all combined into the next decade. But I do believe it, seeing some of these young kids that are doing stuff like Obi on Fediment and then Sonoda, um, you know, Jason Lowry, let's call him out, Preston. Uh, yeah. What a what a great interview you had with that oh, kid. Lord. Like on he he might be 
he might be the only guy that I put on par with Michael Saylor in terms of a brain that is just so incredible. Like that, that, that computer, that mainframe computer he has in his head is just absolutely outrageous. And, and what is he like, you know, I know he's a young kid. Um, I've met him personally and, and just really, you know, uh, when he first came on the scene, people were like, well, he's a plant, he's a spook, he's this, he's that. And I'm like, okay, I suppose that's possible, but I tell you what, I'm learning a ton from this kid. And if he is a plant, ship it in because I need to learn from this plant. You know what I'm saying? So, so anyway, I, I would just say, that's what I love about, about going uh, to, to Edinburgh. Uh, you know, we did, uh, we did that hike, Jeff, you weren't there, but Larry and I hiked with, uh, with the guys up on uh, Arthur's seat, which is a, a, an old volcano. And we hiked up and it was put on by a, uh, a, uh, uh, a Bitcoin walk organization in Edinburgh, but then you get to meet people where they are, where they're comfortable. They ask you questions. They tell you about their experience. And all I know is Larry and I just were like, Oh my God, this is so impressive. These young kids, what they're doing, how they see the world, what they want to do. Um, they're 24 to 30 years old and they know way more than I perhaps than I do right now, but certainly way more than I did when I was twice their age. So um, that's what I get out of it. And doesn't it give you Larry Lapard said it makes us feel younger. All right. Mm. Like we meet these kids and we're like, I have hope. I have, uh, energy to try and uh, spread, you know, whatever experience I can bring to the table. My experience, 35 years of mistakes, <laughs> but I don't let the mistakes kill me. I, I, I make adjustments in a, in a trading portfolio or whatever. So these kids give me strength. Uh, I, I, I would do it. Uh, honest to God, I would do it 52 weeks a year. Um, I'd probably, uh, Jeff and I were drinking beer in Bulgaria at uh, 10 a.m. in the morning a couple of days uh, because beer in Bulgaria is $1.17 Canadian for a liter of beer that we bought with our lightning wallets at this. Uh, and, at and this what, really- they have it with breakfast? That's just cheaper than water. I'm like, okay, well, look, I'm going to buy something. I might as well buy a, 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 a liter of beer Uh but it was just, you know, they don't drink outrageously, but it was just a fun experience. And all I would say is I would do it again. It's, it's, it's tough on the, uh, on the sleep patterns. There's no question, but they, these kids give you energy and uh, the laughter and the, the memories will, will go forever. And uh, that's what we need because uh, in this clown world, there's a lot of people on the other side of the, uh, on the other side of the boat, you know, weighing Great down God. that side of the boat. I don't know if I told you this, but that uh, the day after I was walking around Edinburgh with uh, with my family, and this uh, this older lady came up to me, and she she said uh, she said I I was crying the entire time you guys were talking. Wow. I was so moved. I came here. Uh, I came to this conference, um, not knowing anything about not knowing anything about Bitcoin, and completely kind of broken in the world because everything's going and I have an 18 year old son and thinking about him and she said you you guys this conference just totally changed my life mm. I have hope uh, and 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 I'm going to go back and tell everybody I know I'm gonna, they're going to all be downloading <laughs> downloading wallets they're going, and, and so you never know the impact you make like so in that time you got to see the impact but most times you don't see the impact you make through all of the people that you touch. And so just what do you think about is just make, just make positive impact, just go and And that in this community, I think you see a lot of that and those people are spreading out. That's why it's so, that's why this is unstoppable because it's us. 
It's not, I don't mean us on the, us four. It's, it's the best in human nature that mm. comes out on something. And it just, and, and it's, it spreads node to node, which is us. And that's what's so um, lovely to see when you have these interactions at conferences and such, because there, there's two aspects to it, or likely more. But uh, Jeff, you know, what you're saying about these entrepreneurs who are, you know, starting businesses, allocating capital towards environmental issues, let's say. And so there's the one aspect of how capital gets wasted or destroyed when you have this artificial landscape that is is basically dictated by fiat, not by the, you know, the shifting and the 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 attempt to find a balance between the time preferences and all that and the demands of people in a market, right? It's very artificial. And so being that it's so artificial, it can change so quickly. You know, it's like quicksand. It's like, well, depending on the government that's in power or what the rule is now, or what the interest rate is now versus six months ago, your whole, your whole, all your plans, all your models are destroyed, right? And so capital gets allocated in an environment and a landscape that is by no means as stable as it could be. And as a result of that, capital gets destroyed and we get, you know, we get set back even further. But this happens on an individual level as well. Like when you look out on the world and you see clown world and you're seeing, man, is it going to be nuclear war? Am I going to be able to afford a house? Am I going to be able to get a job? Like all of this uncertainty, you know, seemingly at the extreme now, but who knows, perhaps it could, could go, you know, be even more extreme. Um, that doesn't instill a sense like, oh, I, that doesn't instill a sense of security, right? And when you don't have that, well, you don't want to start a family. You don't want to plan a business. You don't want to plan for your future. You're not only are you consumed by the anxiety, but you just think what's the point almost. And you, you get this type of nihilism and, and, and uh, despair versus when you, when you recognize that a mechanism or a tool now exists to rectify a lot of that. Yes. It's going to take time, a lot of work, lots to be done, et cetera, et cetera, but that it can deliver that sense of security. Well, then you can see the change in people that that turns around. So where once you were contracting into yourself because the world was so scary and you didn't have the security to have those ambitions, to build a life, to expand your life into the world. Now this mechanism is giving you the hope. It's giving you the enthusiasm, excitement that you can. So you, you see a lot of these people that are planning for the future, whether it be homes, businesses, families, their own personal development. Like that's the, that's the environment that you interact with at these conferences and th that's the kind of vibe you get from people like they have that in their eyes they're like they're 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 dreaming of what their life can be in this new horizon that they see and that's what's so cool because i mean that's how all this crazy shit gets turned around right it's not like no central banker obviously and no politician and no none of that none of those people can do no one's coming to save you nobody can can change all that but you with this degree of this access to this degree of security and, and certainty almost, and everyone else having equal access to it, and that playing out over the course of time, and each individual changing their behavior and their hopes and their ambitions and their dreams as a result of that re, you know, renewed or newfound or unprecedented stability, that can change the world. That can turn this Titanic of a clown world around. And you see that when you interact with these people at conferences and stuff. And it's like, there's nothing better. Because, because we're all, as you said, Jeff, like it's, it's, even though we're at different stages of, of our lives and you know, all that jazz, it applies to us just the same. Yep. yep. We had a guide uh, <clears throat> on the bus that took us around uh, Bulgaria and uh, she was a, just a, just a great young lady who uh, uh, 
was a Bitcoiner without realizing it. You know, even her comments about governments printing money before she, when she was taking us around, well, this bridge was built, uh, you know, because the governments had money or the EU had money that they gave us. Uh, the reality is um, by the end of the trip, she was, uh, you know, she's a full-bred uh, Bitcoiner right now who uh, I saw a sparkle in her eye. Um, you know, it's fun when you, uh, when you, you know, if you're, if you're intellectually curious, it's always fun when you get a new, uh, a new thing to, to discover. So, um, I have big, uh, hopes for her as being a person who's going to onboard part of, uh, Bulgaria. There's 6 million people in Bulgaria, the same size as El Salvador, but their economy is substantially larger just because it's a, you know, a former, uh, well, it is Eastern European, but uh, prior to that, it was, uh, you know, it's got a very deep history. So it, it happens, you make little victories. And then, uh, you know, in a year's time, we'll come back and see that she's uh, onboarded, you know, 50 different merchants in, uh, in Bulgaria. We hooked her up with the Ibex Mercado uh, crew. And, uh, you know, they're doing great things. Obviously, they started in El Salvador, but they're doing Miami, the city of Miami, and then onboarding merchants all around the world. So it's a it's a a movement. It's uh, it's accelerating. The S curve is there. Uh, you know, we could uh, take a lot of heart in uh, in the small victories because they add up uh, to big victories. Little mm -hmm. victories, little victories add up to big victories. Yeah. Well, also a hundred million downloads probably has an impact on how people are thinking about this <laughs> stuff as well. So shout out to our boy Preston. But um, I do want to, you know, speak with you guys about some of the because this year has been like a macro person's wet dream, right? I mean, it's just like so unprecedented, unprecedented on so many levels. And I, I have a bunch of things that I think are relevant to discuss. But I mean, maybe I should ask you guys first, like, where's your head at? Like, what, what do you think? Because there's so much going on and there's you know, so many different takes on how it's all going to play out. Like, what are you guys watching? I guess the most, you know, whether it's currencies yield curve control interest rates inflation recession like preston, where are we at preston, preston yeah preston why don't you kick well, I'd, off, I, would, I would ask greg do you think do you think we're even at the eye of the storm yet i uh, i do not um yeah. but i want to hand it right back to you i don't but nobody does like in this case we're on the head of a pin because uh november 2nd the next fed meeting is going to be the all tell uh whether they uh you know you always have to define what a pivot is so that we don't confuse everybody. But if you define, if, if I make a definition of a pivot, I think that, uh, you know, the market certainly is anticipating some form, but oh, back to you, because I, I my, my subject is probably going to be a little more uh, uh, pointed rather than a, a shotgun approach. I have a pretty, pretty interesting subject I'd like to hit. It, it, all, it all goes back to what I was saying earlier about economic calculation. So um in, in a normal functioning market, you got to start with inflation. And if that inflation, you know, they target 2%. So the, the yield in what you should collect by lending money in that type of environment should exceed 2% at, at a minimum. Um, and then equities should be valued at a premium to whatever that is. So historically, it's about 200 basis points to from the inflation. So you'd be at like maybe 4% for fixed income and then another 2% above that for equities, for high quality equity. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you should be looking for things to be priced 
at about a 6% yield based off the free cash flows of a high quality equity. So that's like in a normal functioning environment. So, you know, you go back uh, about a year ago, back last fall, I was jumping up and down. I'm screaming. I'm like, hey, like we are getting substantial prints here. They were like in excess of 5%, 6%. And the entire equity market was still priced at about 2% yield. And the, the fixed income was still priced down like 2% yield. They're like at parity of, with each other. And, and yet the inflation was twice to three times that. And I'm saying, this is, this is the, the ultimate train wreck of reckoning that's brewing here. And it's, it's literally the price of every single thing on the planet, whether it's real estate, right. large cap, small cap, you know, every single thing on the planet is, is based on these equations and they're completely upside down. So fast forward, and then we get into the summer and now we're dealing with 8% after 8% print. And then you go over to Europe and they're in double digit prints and they're like still going up. Right. And you look at how the, how's their debt market constructed as far as yields go. They're like, it's a, it's a total pittance. I think Italy went from eight to 12% today. Yeah. So here's, so the EU bond yield curve, the highest yield you can get is on a 15 year at (laughs) 2.28%. So if, if Germany's pumping out a 12% or whatever their number was today, it was, it was double digits. Right. And you can only go and get a 2.28% yield in their debt markets. Like that's a negative 800 basis point gap if you're using 10%. Like John, I can't I can't even explain how asinine <laughs> these numbers are. And th- and that's not even talking the equity markets on top of that. I'm just talking credit on top of debasement rates. Don't forget so, though, Preston, they did sorry John, they did start with negative yields. That in itself was the, one yeah. of the most rid- ridiculous uh, things that I've uh, that I've ever experienced when a bond is paying a negative yield, it, it, it's no longer an asset, it becomes a liability, right? It's just flipped the entire asset management business on its head when part of your portfolio is high as a 40% allocation in your portfolio. There were parts of the yield curves in Europe that were generating negative yields, negative returns. The only the greater fool theory was, well, they'll go more negative. So I'll, I'll, I'll be sure to pick up this nickel in front of this steamroller and sell it before I get rolled over by the steamroller. Well, guess what? Uh, the 60-40 portfolio is baked, okay? It's the first time in history. And that's the, that's the point I wanted to hit. If you're an asset manager in this world right now, you've just had the worst nine months run in the history of the NASDAQ and long bonds. And that's the reason is the NASDAQ's only been around for you know just over 50 years um, you'd have to go back to the Great Depression to see a point where long bonds and equities were both down double digits in a nine-month period. That doesn't uh, sit well with pension uh, fund managers. They all of a sudden become unfunded or underfunded pensions. Uh, and then they do stupid things. And this is what I wanted to hit on. The gilt market in the, US, in, in the UK, uh, they decided they were going to use a strategy called liability-driven investing, where they levered their bond portfolios. They had a 1.25% yield on their 30-year gilt bond. 1.25% uh, 
nominal yield when even inflation was far higher than that, as Preston was just saying. But stick with me here. 1.25%. Let's say they have a hurdle rate. They need to earn uh, 7% hurdle rate for their actuarial uh, return assumptions for their pension plan. Well, you don't get there when you have uh, 1.25%. So what did they do? They levered it three times. Uh, the problem was those bonds fell 55% in value. Well, when you lever it three times, that becomes 150% loss. So not only did you blow up that strategy, lost every single penny in that strategy, you took 50% return away from your other strategies as well in the rest of your, uh, in, in the rest of your uh, uh, portfolio. I, I just can't imagine what's going to happen when some of these pensioners open up their, uh, their, their statements at the end of the year and they're like, what just happened? Like, honest to God, and this is monumental capital destruction. Lynn Alden sent out a really cool tweet today, pegging these numbers. Um, this has been the greatest wealth destruction by an order, like at least five times higher than the wealth destruction that occurred in the great financial crisis uh, 12, 14 years ago. Okay. This is crazy. The wealth, the wealth destruction. wasn't there though. The wealth Absolutely. wasn't there. The wealth was never there. Well, on a mark-to-market basis, it was, unfortunately, but yeah, I get yeah, it. It was the but, balloon. But it it, that, uh, it, it, it yeah. was all based on a credit bubble that had to keep on expanding. And that's yeah. the same. So it's a mirage. The whole thing isn't. That, and that's So even uh, Preston, and this is where um, connected to John's question, but but what you first said, and I know you know this, but, uh, but you said everything's based off a 2% inflation rate. The 2% inflation rate is, is a construct that allows governments to manipulate interest rates da uh, down <clears throat> to be able to manipulate a, a currency. And then what ends up happening with that construct, because you have to have inflation on a credit, but you have to have inflation on a credit-based system is people vote for more and more. And um, first the market breaks at the, at the housing or not the housing market, but first in 1981, right? You have to move the debt up the stack. <laughs> by taking it to government debt. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger um, all around the world. And you hit these, the, these long debt cycles that cascade into global collapse. And there's just no way out of that. Like it's just, and, and it, it's because it's a really simple process throughout history, technology and the free market or the free market and what we do. Technology is just a word for, for our efficiency solving problems, right? put into it, um, it reduces prices and it's, uh, and, and so a free market is deflationary by nature. Um, and a credit-based system has to go the other way. And now it's moving that move is So the rise of the debt is in response to trying to, to stop the deflation from, from, uh, from, uh, the technology uh, moving and it has to keep getting bigger and bigger. Um, and it has to, so when you see these offsets, when you see how much debt, it's just, it's that exponential pattern. And even if you stop it for a second, no matter where it stops, and it's, so, so this tightening, and you guys know this, this tightening, two choices. One, blow up the entire world, everything stops, right? And the entire thing resets. Um, and they're going to try to do that for a little bit, but it's because of a geopolitical reason we'll get into in a second, um, the war thing. Um, but the, but, or 
go back to yield curve control and everything else and go straight back up to that exponential pattern because the system will collapse without it. So it doesn't, all of the little things that are happening, guilt market, I know those aren't little things for the citizens, <laughs> but all of these little things inside there, it's like, it doesn't really matter. Um, it, it matters for the citizens in that, but it's going to happen no matter what, because the system is completely unstable and growing more and more unstable every day. And it, it, it can't, there's no way the system can solve it. So when I listen to kind of people predict uh, largely which event is going to take down the system, they can't know. Mm. They, they can't, they, they can't know because the, the event that takes down the system or when, when things really happen is when people lose confidence and you can't pick that event. Right? And that's what credit is, right, Jeff? It's all a game of confidence. As soon as you lose yeah. that confidence, it like credit Suisse is so baked. It's not funny, right? Everybody's holding out hope that uh, they'll do something. Well, uh, you know what? I've seen it so many times. They've lost the confidence of the market. Yeah. The Saudi fund is going to come in or there's a Middle East uh, investor, but at the end of the day, you know, it just got, can you imagine that there was a time when uh, TD Bank would have been uh, TD Bank, Canada's one of Canada's largest banks is now 10 times more valuable than Credit Suisse on a market cap basis. Uh, when I was working at TD Bank uh, 20 years ago, we would have given our less left testicle, all right, to have been just as valuable as Credit Suisse, right? And this is destruction of a uh, hundred-year-old institution uh, through leverage and all the things that Jeff says, the credit, uh, the credit contagion, the loss of confidence, the bad management, the Arc, Archegos, uh, Bill, Bill Huang, uh, uh, prime brokerage uh, debacle, wiping before, billions be, of be, dollars. Before that, Russia, before that, like the, the long-term capital management, before that, all of these debts just kept on stacking, papering over and stacking up. They didn't go away. They just moved higher on the uh, higher on the credit stack in yeah. the governments, and 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 so people thought they went away, and then you got this entire um, don't fight the Fed. And for a long time, why the models all worked, why sixty forty worked, is because you knew the Fed was going to come in and bail everybody out. Um, and uh, and 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 then they can't they can't, um, and so those things don't work anymore. This is the elephant in the room. Right for the next six months, nine months. Be careful what you ask for. Okay. And here's why they are trying to create a suffocation of demand by all these central banking actions by sucking the monetary units, the paper units out of the system. But they're doing it at a point where they've played this game and they've made this, the whole system so fragile for 40 plus years that your supply side where you actually have tangible things being delivered through a supply chain. What if you, what if you start breaking that too, right? So you're sucking, you're trying to suck the demand side out. You are going to break what, that. But what if in the process, you're actually also sucking out the supply side because they can't physically perform anymore because they are so sy systemically broke. Okay. Are, you, and, that is going to happen. <clears throat> And that's what's coming next. And that's the elephant in the room. And that's what nobody on Wall Street is talking about because they've set, for, since they've been on Wall Street, all they know is there's a playbook that's run. And the playbook is the Fed tightens monetary units, demand leaves, 
all the supply chains keep functioning. They not enough of them really break to really cause any type of issues. And then they re after it gets bad enough, and we get a little bit of a reset. They 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 put those monetary units back into the system, and and everything starts to reflate again. That's the playbook. That's what they think is going to happen right now. But I don't think I think very few people are prepared for not only a demand shock that's brewing but also a supply side shock because now you're literally the 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 fragile delivery that you were already getting <clears throat> i mean look at look at amazon they used to get two two day delivery unquestionable unshakable it was always there on time not not anymore like if you get something in two days that's the anomaly right and that's and that is a well oiled functioning machine relative to everything else out there that's not using AI for delivery of parts and pieces and components that make up subcomponents to subcomponents to an actual delivery of a complex part. Okay. So that's, and if you work on wall street your whole life and you've never actually created a product as a PM and delivered it, you don't understand any of that. Okay. Uh, and that's the real world. And, and, and actually in the game behind the game, um, so you could say, um, and people are saying, get rid of the Fed and everything else. And, and all central banks get co-opted by the state eventually throughout history. And why? Because society demands it. Um, it can't stay independent. So society votes to, to, to merge them. So you're either going to have a socialist takeover of the Fed, um, society demanding it. That's going to, or what I think might be happening right now is the Fed Fed tightening be, um, is because the, because if you look at the military complex and what's what's happening there and the Fed uh, Fed tightening, um, if they if they ease right now, they make China and Russia stronger. Um, and 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 here's the problem: Mo all the components around of all of all the semiconductors and everything else in the world to, that that run the U.S. military-industrial complex can't be made in the U.S. because the dollar is too strong. So all of the all of those components move to other areas, and now now it risks the U.S. Uh, their standing in the world because they don't ha have. And so, how do you fix that right now? Because you can't because of the Triffin dilemma in the U.S. currency it worked for a long time, but now it doesn't work anymore. Um, and that that when China started, when China started doing Belt and Road instead of bringing back dollars to keep bond, buying bonds, there was a, a real a real break in the way the world worked. And now you have because you never had you never had geopolitical rivals as 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 big as as where China is today. So now you have a huge problem. Now China U.S. tightening is sending China's market. It's killing it. Um, killing it massive debt bubble unwinding g's trying to get i think i think they're in lockdown because otherwise there'd be revolution on the street i think that's why they're in lockdown i think zero covid policy is is uh, is is to is to keep them in lockdown but now you the 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 whole thing about cutting off the chips right what I what I feel like the cutting off the chips is is what what uh, the what the U.S. did to Japan before Japan invaded Pearl Harbor, right? the cut off oil, right? So they're they're baiting 
China into, uh, into Taiwan, because I think China has to now. So the game behind the game, I think is this. And so, so just if that is the game behind the game, because the currency regime we've all grown up in can't function anymore in a world and uh, for global trade. And we live in a global trade world. Um, the geopolitical risks are so much bigger. If that is the game behind the game, then you might expect that the U.S. tightens for longer than they, than than people are expecting them to, and you could you could have a complete rollover, and start starting a credit cascade of, of what you're talking about. Scary. So what I happens think, next? I, I think the debt spirals here. I think I don't. Um, you know, people might think I'm trying to over sensationalize it by saying that, but. I mean, I just don't know how you could possibly get yourself out of this situation based on the numbers and based on these yields and, and just kind of where you're at and how broke, systemically broke uh, supply chains are right now. I, I think you're, I think you're in it. Um, I think you're in the early stages of it. Well, Preston, look at the, old, the, the, the government's own congressional budget office projections. I mean, if that was a company, just go to the website and look at the congressional budget offices projections for the u.s debt and deficit over the next 10 years and this is by the way it's conservative it doesn't matter it's still so ugly that if it was a company you wouldn't touch it with a barge pool like i mean you, you, and yet these are their own projections and they assume that the world is still going to fund it now the world still will fund the u.s the problem is it squeezes out capital from all, the rest of the world <laughs> and it attracts capital at, and it removes capital from uh, you know, even China and places like Japan, where you can use that CapEx. Nope. The insurance companies in Japan are, are selling all their U.S. treasuries because they're trying to defend the yen, the James Lavish argument, the what yield curve control, and then the, uh, the paradox there. So it is ugly. The debt spiral is upon us in a huge form. It's funny that it's just getting the uh, attention that you and I were screaming about over a year ago. Uh, and, you know, COVID solidified it. There is no way to escape this mathematically impossible to escape this debt spiral. You can have a lot of posturing today's uh, announcement. I guess it was yesterday's announcement out of the White House, how they reduced the deficit by the largest amount ever in a single year. Yeah, guess what? That had 600 billion of capital gains uh, uh, from 2021 that won't be capital gains revenues this year. I promise you that because there are no capital gains revenues this year. So it's gaslighting uh, 101. Uh, and it's really scary because people like Luke Roman, uh, who's doing the math, but also publishing it and, and sending it out, zero hedge, even spend, you know, why is this not getting more attention, which was the, uh, the interest expense on the, on the government debt going to exceed a trillion dollars. Uh, that's bigger than military spending. So we just have something that the government assumed would continue forever. And as we all know, risk happens fast. Now it's happening faster. And it's all a game of confidence. As soon as you lose that confidence, it is over and you cannot get that confidence back. So the, the peripheral countries will be the, uh, will, will go off first. That's uh, perhaps a geopolitical game as Jeff is pointing out, but it doesn't matter. It's only math. And then, you know, then it really becomes systemic. And but then you, but, but carry, carry on with that. When you impose that hardship on countries and when that ends up happening in countries, and then if you predict the behavior change of those countries mm. and you predict 
the different alliances that those countries have or the different leaders that kind of come out of that mess. Typically in that mess, people vote away their rights, individual rights and freedoms because they're in so much pain. They will vote for a dictator to, to solve that, to, to blame other people. To, be, to this, is, this is how this cascades across the world. And why we don't see this, well, I, I, I think why this happens every hundred years or so um, and the same exact thing happens over over every every hundred years is because everyone died that led up to the, what created in the first place um, and 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 forgot all the lessons that they weren't going to do it again and they elect new people to just do the same thing again um, and so uh, and and so that we're we're seeing a similar playback uh, playbook right now of what led to World War One and World War Two. Mm. all around the all around the world we're seeing the, and it doesn't help when the saudi when the saudi oil minister is making fun of the president right yeah right to his face basically or to his own cabinet but anyway it's uh yeah there is a lot of behind the back uh you know backstabbing i guess and that leads to more aggression and and less uh cooperation so yeah risky world people, people i want to i want to like Oh, go ahead, John. I want to just read a quick quote because we did a, um, a book club discussion on when money dies a few weeks ago, you know, about uh, what happened post-World War I in Germany. And I didn't actually read this quote during the discussion, but I'll read it now because I think it's relevant. And one of the lines from the book said, what really broke Germany was the constant taking of the soft political option in respect of money. The takeoff point, therefore, was not a financial, but a moral one. And the political excuse was despicable for no imaginable political circumstances could have been more unsuited to the imposition of a new financial order than those pertaining in November 1923, when inflation was no longer an option. The only thing that could and did stop it was the inconceivably, uh, was what was what <laughs> stop it is when the inconceivable inelectably arrived. Wow. People are hurting everywhere. You, like I said earlier, nobody owns anything. In relative terms, percentage-wise, if you look across the breadth of the population, the, the majority of the population doesn't own anything, and they're they're working paycheck to paycheck, and uh, and they're swimming against a current that is they can't keep pace, right? If you have to outpace the the debasement, and you're only your disposable income is only five percent of what you make, and the debasement rate is ten or fifteen percent. Um, you're falling behind. You're playing a video game where you get you get less far in the game every time you play it. You don't that's, know why. That's the world. And, that's a, yeah. And they don't understand why. And so what do they do? They want immediate relief and they want it from the party that they think is is on their side. And uh, the, the other party is immediately evil. The person who's looking, Jeff says, says this so eloquently when he's talking about if you're looking for the solution in the old system, you're not going to find it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and this is what we're describing here. People that are looking at one party or the other party is, is the one that's going to answer this, this situation of always getting less far in the game. Um, they're, they're looking for a savior in a, in a spot that's unfindable. And so you have to design your way out of it. And so that's obviously why we're in Bitcoin. But that's... but. I would strongly caution people uh, when you when you find these people because they're so prevalent throughout society that you that you just have a little bit of empathy for them 
because they're trying the best they can in the in the environment that they're that they're trying to navigate and they just cannot see the the this really big picture thing that they've never been taught that's very complex to understand um so it makes a lot of sense why you have so many people kind of caught in that in that do loop yeah yeah it's just so important that you like we keep reinforcing that because fear and anxiety makes us stupid we can't see all the opportunities it's actually it, 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 when when you study that you cannot be optimal you don't see all the opportunities you see a very narrow set of uh, um probably from fear was a good thing in in a lion mm. on the serengeti when in, in our ancestors we would fight or flight fight or flight yeah <clears throat> um but not in this world that fear and anxiety paralyze us into that fight or flight into into the existing system it makes the existing system stronger because we only fight or flight we don't see all the all the opportunities there's there's a third one jeff it's fight flight or don't move that that the attacker doesn't see me and i think you have a lot in that last category where it's like well i don't know what to do but my my broker just tells me to keep allocating to this uh, bond fund. Um, and if I, if I don't move, maybe it's just going to disappear. All right. One, one more quote because of the point that you both just made. This is another one I didn't get to read in the discussion, but it's a, someone uh, in, in Germany at the time commenting on the situation. And she says, my relations and friends were too stupid. They didn't understand what inflation meant. They didn't rush to get rid of their money. All my relations thought it would stop in the next week. And they went on thinking so. They woke up very late. They started selling their valuables because they couldn't buy food. The china from the mantelpiece, the furniture, the silver. My relations didn't know the value of anything. They were stupid. My mother's bank manager gave her appalling advice. He didn't know what he was talking about either. To the point you just made, Preston. Yeah, I'm tweeting so, this out, fellas. Are you okay, Jeff? I'm uh, I'm tweeting out fear and anxiety makes us stupid yeah. at Jeff Booth. You okay with that? Because <laughs> yeah. I'm sending it right now. So uh, anyway, good work, boys. That's that's there you go. I learned again. That's and you guys know, right? I've I've suffered uh, after 30 years. I I hit the wall. I I was anxious and depressed to the point where I wanted to take my whole my own life, right? And I'm very open about that. That's what 30 years of sitting in a in a chair where, you know, any given day you feel like you can uh, lose your, well, certainly lose your job, but even worse, you can lose your, your uh, accumulated wealth. Um, that's what the system does to you. And the, the hope is the, is the Bitcoin. The hope is the freedom aspect. The hope is real sound money. That's going to change the fiat Ponzi. And that's what, uh, well, I love coming on here and talking with you guys because it is real life, the Serengeti, the fight or flight. I mean, I, I lived all that and you can't take that out of your body because it's what put the humans at the top of the food chain, right? Uh, you don't sit and fight with a lion. Uh, you're not going to win that. You're going to, you, you got to get your, 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 your ass out of there. And so that's what we're seeing right now. Deers in the headlights though, with people, unfortunately, because they do not know which way to turn. Some of those people are our politicians. They assume they're going to be, uh, uh, you know, the next two years, that's all they're, they're planning for. They're not doing any long-term planning. And that's the problem. We have reduced everything to quarterly or annual results versus a 20-year time frame that's required to solve these, uh, these challenges. Yeah. And again, to Jeff's point, I mean, this, the circumstance that this puts you in and Foss that you were just describing, 
it instills in you an extremely high time preference. You know, you call that anxiety, you just call it like desperation. Like you, you want those fears and concerns and needs to be met. In, you're increasingly desperate to have them met. And so you, you, you latch on to the more expedient solution rather than the one that's going to resolve the problem long-term. Now to, to all your points, the beautiful thing about Bitcoin is that it may very well have been the case in another era, you know, maybe 19, uh, 20s Germany, maybe around the French Revolution, whatever. We may, like the four of us, if we were so inclined to think, to observe the problem and think there's something wrong and know it needs to be rectified for everyone's benefit, but not having an option available like Bitcoin, I mean, we, we may have been, have been, to, have been, had to have been the revolutionaries, the pitchfork people, the, all that right. kind of stuff. Because how else would you have rectified the problem that was putting so many That's people in such done. a horrible, yeah. yeah, such a horrible state? And I mean, it's beyond, beyond beautiful, and I'm sure we're all beyond grateful that we have this uh, this solution. But the the interesting, so in the one hand, your people are put in a state where they want the expedient solution, and when you make the case that Bitcoin is a solution, but it's going to take some time to turn the system around, that's not very appealing. But the thing that I try to impress upon people when I speak to them one on one is that's true for this, you know, the quote unquote system, the world as a whole. But you can step through into that other world today, right? You can start moving your life into the, the orange domain, the Bitcoin realm, whatever you want to call it. And you will start to like feel the benefits of doing that from today. And every day, it'll be a little bit more and a little bit more. And that's not very enticing to people in our desperate state. I get it. But those people, if they don't take that route, they'll do the gambling and the shitcoining and all these things that try to get them out of their situation uh, faster than it's it's basically possible, faster than they can, and that only puts them even further into the situation that they're trying to get out of in the first place. Digging and so those those, yeah, actions, so those actions represent the core of their personality. Mm -hmm. right? At the core of a person's personality, they're either somebody who who has respect for the rules of nature. Right? If a person is looking at this and saying, oh, you know what, I can't, I need to engage in a win-win situation for another party. And, and so much of what I see in the shitcoin casino are people who proudly proclaim that they ripped somebody off because they sold them some image of a monkey. I am not, that is not my personality. I refuse to, to <laughs> applaud those actions. I refuse. Mm -hmm. I refuse yeah. to participate in those actions. Because you know what? I know on the other end of that, somebody's getting totally screwed on purpose, knowingly. Like there's a difference between selling somebody a product and you think you're adding value and the other person buying it, kind of getting ripped off, right? There's a big difference between the intention. You got to go to the intention of the engagement, right? And a lot of these people that get, in, that get caught up in some of that stuff, if you peer into the core of who they are, you're going to find a lot of dark stuff. And you're going to find that they find that hilarious or that they, you know, that's who's doing these types of things. Mm -hmm. yeah, or go ahead, Jeff. You go, no, you, um, so I had this conversation and it, you're just highlighting a conversation I had uh, in Scotland with one of pretty senior at free the children, $3 billion budget and uh, per year. And what, and, and, and I asked her and I said, um, I said, what was the budget 10 years ago and 10 years ago before that? 
And as the budgets climbed, because she's she, they're taking money right now, and senior is taking money from some of the, um, the uh, exchanges. Say, I won't say which ones, but uh, but but but, and the exchanges essentially are creating a scam. With the more more coins you have, the more people get hurt, and you get traded in and out of those, and they're using that money to be able to tell the world they're doing good and give money to things like this. And I asked her, I said, so is the problem better today or worse today than it was 10 years ago, than it was 20 years ago? And she, and, and despite your budget being bigger, says so the problem's way worse today. It's horrific. We don't have the time. It's And so what's the, I, co- what's the cause? What do they do? That was free. That's free the children. So, so what, what do they do? Um, help children in distressed places. And, um, and, and so I said, if the problem's getting worse, despite more and more money, right, where's the money coming from to make the problem worse? Like what's hap- happening? And do you realize you're actually part of the problem because you're making it stronger and you're going to funders to have the most money to make the, which is a sig, which is the entire system reinforcing and making the entire pro, uh, problem worse, and because she was trying to get how do we how do we bridge to Bitcoin? How do we understand? How do we bridge to this? Because the money is so powerful, and the the pain is so acute right now. What do we do? Just stop it, right? And so you what you see in in that, and it happens ever it happens everywhere. Every one of these problems, and the politicians too, they have a. I, I was spe- I was speaking um, um, in in the House of Commons, um, and before I went on, uh, there was sixteen other people like and and they desperately needed money for their communities. Mm-hmm. So the so the politicians are hearing all of the sad stories about all of this, and then I come in and tell a totally different story on what they don't even have the time to listen to me. Yeah, they don't. Have, that's so my point, they're, right? They're making the problem worse and worse and worse. And the more people that are doing that are making it worse and worse and worse because it's mm-hmm. a system problem. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and there's a bunch of people at the top of the system that have no idea that they're making the problem worse. Yep. And that's why this is going to happen from the ground up, right? Yeah. By each of those individuals making the choice like to opt out, to say no, the, you know, the, and to, and the, not, to those violent Nonviolent yeah. protests. All you have to do, you don't want financial repression. Walk across. Just all you have to do, be curious. Right. Um, and, and the and, more people and... that do that, the more solutions are are incentivized to be created in that system, and the more freedom, and the more wealth, and the more options that are available, and that makes it more attractive. And the more, you know, it just becomes more rich, right? And I mean that in the cultural sense, not only the financial sense. And that, you know, that makes it an easier sell for people to walk across that line and keep doing so. And that, you know, that's how it happens, right? Because it's not going to happen from, as you said, those potentially many of them, I would agree with you, are well-meaning people at the top, but they, they, the toolkit that is at their disposal because of the the system that, that they think they're in and the fact that they think that's exclusively the system that they have to contend with can't provide any solutions. They won't look, they don't have the time to look or they, um, the, it, and that's where we're kind of focus on the builders, focus on the world you want to see, and mm-hmm. you'll you'll create the world you want to see. Um, it's 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 so amazing that just that 
kind of that shift in attitude. I know, John, you're there. I know everybody on this call is here, there in a deep way. But that frame of the world, when you're looking through that frame of the world, it's super hopeful. It's so, exci- it's so exciting. And you want other people to see that frame. Mm-hmm. Even though they were in a completely different uh, uh, frame of the world. Um, so, um, and then when you understand what's being built on top of this, so, so everyone on this call, right, and many people in Bitcoin understand the plumbing of the existing system, all of the plumbing, how it works <laughs> um, across the world and why it won't work for a long time. And they also understand at a deep, deep technical level, the plumbing of the new system. To try to, to, try to teach that, plumbing to a broad, broad billions of people, it's really difficult. Nobody wants to, for people that are super curious, it's, it's like a drug. You want to learn more and more and more. So those, those people, yes, but most people don't experience value through the plumbing. They experience value through the products that are built on top of the plumbing. And, and so, so for a long time, Bitcoin had the plumbing, but there was no way to experience it otherwise other than a store of value um but now you have lightning now and then you have a whole bunch of products on top of the plumbing that are going to deliver value in totally different ways people won't have to understand the plumbing they're just going to experience the value and you're going to bring on billions of people on this beautiful network and it's just going to happen faster and faster and faster like i can't believe we get to be able to spend the time with all of those builders of the future. <laughs> it's incredible. Yeah. One thing yeah, that when awesome. we were on our trip that uh, it's resonated with me <clears throat> without thinking of it, you, you quote the, the number 170 million Bitcoin users, uh, which in the context of 8 billion people on earth uh, doesn't sound huge until you compare it to a country and 170 million people puts you in about the top six largest countries in the world, uh, which is now the Bitcoin community. So it's small in relation to the total global population, but large if you think of it in terms of the various countries of the world. And that's the exciting thing for me. What would that represent in GDP? What are the layers that are going to be built on top of the base layer that represent the growth uh, of the of of sales of the uh, of, of uh, gross domestic product, etc., for this nation of Bitcoiners that don't have borders, they're just from all over the world, and will be at a billion users. I don't know what what the you know Fidelity thinks will be there by two thousand and thirty. Um, I think for sure that number is makes sense. The point is, it's we'll always good to put things in perspective of what exists in the world already. And, uh, you know, South America or, or Central America, I joke that Canada, we better learn Spanish, uh, John Vallis, uh, up here in Canada, because if we don't get our act in, in gear up here, we're going to be reporting to the Central Americans, okay? <laughs> they're, uh, they're, uh, they got their game. So uh, they're only 6 million people, uh, but they're going to swing uh, a, a much larger stick in, in, in the future. And, you know, those 6 million here, 6 million in Bulgaria, 6 million add up. And all of a sudden, you know, uh, Canada is no longer a G7 nation that, uh, that matters. And, you know, hopefully Jeff can convince enough people in Congress or sorry, on the, in the house of commons, Jeff, if you get back there, 
Uh, don't tell them you know me and you'll, you'll, you'll be able to get in there. Yeah, hopefully you'll be able to get in the door. But uh, uh, no, man, this is what we got to do. We got to do this for our kids. It's a competitive world. If you don't compete, you're going to be left behind. Um, and, there's so many, there there's, there's so many things that, you know, we all know about that make us so hopeful about this, but just in terms of how that parallel economy ends up competing and attracting people over. I mean, we just, this one variable of which there are many, but think about how efficiently and how unimpeded the flow and allocation of capital, or how capital will be priced and how it can flow in an economy like the one run on Bitcoin versus the legacy one. I mean, just think about how much less friction. Think about how more efficient the, the pricing of nobody's capital doing, is. And all, nobody's that? doing that math. Yes, nobody's yes. doing that math at all. You can't find a single article that's because I think it's such a complex I think it's such a complex uh, thing to try to determine that it's impossible to determine how the, the breadth of how in, inefficient the existing system is right. relative to what it's being replaced by. And I think, I think that the difference is going to be somewhat unfathomable. And to uh, the point that you guys were making earlier, uh, Willie Wu has some great analysis on the speed to a billion, and he's saying by 2025. Um, and I think the more important point than than getting to the billion is the pace at which bitcoin's getting to the billion which is faster than the speed of the internet itself preston that's the most important uh thing even when people are looking at price i was asked today by somebody very very um interface with government from business council but very senior big business uh knows knows everybody and he was he was talking about bitcoin price being down and i said have you looked at the user growth? Like, um, it's a staggering user growth, both on Lightning and and, and Bitcoin, um, and and again, the definition of a network effect for uh, um, for Rao Paul <laughs> um, is every user makes the network stronger for all users. The definition is of a network effect isn't you just user growth. It makes the network stronger for all users. And now you have U.S. currency and currencies that had a network effect that no longer have a network effect because they don't pass that test. They won't die tomorrow, right? The U.S. dollar is not going to die tomorrow, but it doesn't pass that test anymore. Every user making that, that stronger. Whereas Bitcoin has, has a network effect. Um, and this is, this is subtle yet really in interesting. Most network effects die because eventually because they centralize so much and 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 this centralization creates so much power at the top that the company has to choose users right when when you go to youtube when you go to what's ha what happened still probably will happen on twitter um but when you go to that you have to make choices for some over the others and it starts to lose its network effect and opens up the opportunity for somebody else to create something on a network effect because bitcoin is forever decentralized and secure that network effect every user forever um, makes that network stronger and stronger for every other user it's the most beautiful thing in the world it's the most beautiful thing we've ever seen john so this is the stat that i think people should focus on 57 trillion dollars usd um, in, in buying power at each one of those discrete moments in time that the, that the transactions took place. That's how we're getting this 57 trillion over the last 12 months. 
in physical settlement, 57 trillion. Like this is not an experiment. Mm. This is taken over. Mm-hmm. Like people who are looking at the market price and saying, oh, well, it's down. It's down at 20,000 USD. They don't get it <laughs> at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like comparing it to gold, if, if we could even find out what the number is of physical settlement in gold on an annualized basis, what the hell do you think that number is? <laughs> right? Yeah. And comparing that. So then if, if you were going to look at this as like a gauge uh, factor in like electrical engineering, you'd look at like the size of the line and then how much throughput, how much energy or electrons can you send through that, through that type of wire? Like how thick does that wire have to be to send so many electrons through it? Um, so if we were using like a gauge factor to look at Bitcoin versus gold, the gold market, you'd look at the thickness of the wire, which would be like your market cap. And then you'd look at, well, how much physical settlement, how many, how many uh, electrons are passing through that wire over time, right? Could you imagine what the gauge factor would be between Bitcoin and gold? Like you're in a di- you're in a different galaxy. Mm. Like it's so laughable for anybody in traditional finance to be suggesting that we're going to then move to this thing that is a trusted that you have to have a trusted ledger on top of. It's a physical constraint, right? That's what's caused all these uh, debt jubilees and chaos throughout history. That's the core fundamental thing that creates it is you have to have a ledger that you trust for the paper that rides on top of it. So like, it's just, it's, it's crazy to me. They're, they're paid not to, they're, they're paid not to understand it. They, they are don't paid. want to, but they're paid not to understand it. You know, who's doing great work is fidelity. Um, did you see that report today where they, they reported how many of their institutional clients own digital assets? Yes. They uh, are 58%. Crushing. 58% of institutions now have some exposure to digital assets and a further 74% that don't have exposure plan to get exposure within the next year. Now, hopefully they focus on Bitcoin. Uh, if they continue to listen to Jamie Dimon, who loves blockchain technology, but doesn't like Bitcoin. I mean, there's a man who is paid not to understand. He understands he's just giving bad advice to uh, his followers because he knows that JP Morgan will be disintermediated by this beautiful technology. But point is the 60, 40, if I could come back to this is done. 60, 40 is done. Asset managers need another silo to allocate, to generate returns on a non-correlated basis. And, you know, I don't like volatility. You guys mentioned that. Bitcoin is less volatile than the S&P 500 right now. It's less volatile than the NASDAQ and less volatile than the Dow. Now, volatility is the price of return, according to Bill Miller. That's a better definition. But here's what I know. The asymmetry to the upside on Bitcoin is hundreds and if not thousands of times greater than the the upside in stocks, okay? 20,000 is such a rounding error that when it's trading at 250,000 and it collapsed down from 300,000 to 250,000, people are going to go, told you, Bitcoin's dead. How many times have we seen that, right? Orders of magnitude upside, the best asymmetric opportunity I've ever seen. And it is so silly cheap 
I guess Jim Cramer still doesn't like it, which is a great thing. Okay. Cause if Cramer ever starts liking Bitcoin, I'm then out. we better, I'm then out. we, yeah, then we better t- turn the taps on that knucklehead. But uh, for now, Wall Street is paid not to understand it. They live in their bubble. They are pretending you can continue this rent-seeking game. That's what the USA has. They've offshored all manufacturing. It is now a financial and services-based economy where they take out vig, vigorish at the expense of a buyer and seller. That's the whole Wall Street game. That is a zero-sum game. It's over. Get um, yourself with the new system. Sorry, Jeff. So no no just a just a quick story and um, I I can't share everything but 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 I I'm going to share with something that uh, so yesterday at Creative Destruction Lab I told you where it was yesterday and one of the, there's these mentors and they're really successful business VC um, and um, and 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 everything and these mentors have run big businesses before as well and one of the mentors who became a friend of mine for years. And I forgot until yesterday because he just came out, but he went in for the last 18 months as uh, Biden's national security advisor. He wrote the paper that I hate for uh, that about cryptocurrencies and what, what they, uh, they look at about, about climate and everything else. Um, and, and so I was talking to him yesterday about it and, and it just shows, it shows how little people know, right? How, because he still hasn't put all of these things together and he's a nice guy. Like you would, you guys would like him. And when you, when you see how could he write this report is you can see how far, far away he is from what the, what this does. And that's in the upper reaches of, of government. Um, And then, but he did say to me this, and this is the one thing I will share. I can't share some of the stuff, but, it, but he said, uh, he, uh, he said, we know this is unstoppable. It's not, you can't stop. It. It's not impossible to stop. How did you reply? Damn straight. <laughs> so and he says, in our bigger, in our bigger, uh, our bigger deal, the, the bigger deal is what's happening with China. That's what, the, that's what the in, lens. In, that's in what it, sense? Like just, just the growing geopolitical power? The growing geopolitical power and what that does to to potentially destabilize the world, and 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 uh, and and just well, China came out the other day saying they're going to be the 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 greatest superpower by twenty forty nine, right? And so those things have those things have, um, and so you have a you have a a different system of governance that is imposing will right around the world it won't i don't that won't work but you can imagine the tension get, getting there and everything else and around um around that so but but i just the two takeaways are, are this we we believe because we know what this system looks like and what change what positive change it brings to the world we believe that most people can see that and and at the highest levels they can't yet they're not, they're, they're most, they're, they're playing a different game. I don't know if you guys see some of the uh, videos coming out of China in the last like couple of months uh, with these COVID policies that they're implementing. Yeah. It is insane. Mm. Absolutely insane. Like all these macro people that have been making calls at China's where everything. <laughs> Ray Dalio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll just say, yeah, Ray. Disastrous call. 
disastrous. But wait, wait, you got to be specific. As, as, as disastrous as a risk parity uh, portfolio right now. The yeah. call of, of China be, being the next superpower in the next you know, century or oh, doing oh, well over the next it decade? Can't, it, can't, it can't happen. Disaster. It disaster. Just, it, 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 absolute disaster. I know, I know where you're coming from, but having spent a decade living there, and I know all the problems there in the property market and the money printing and the efficient, inefficient form of government, inefficient form of government, government and all that stuff. And I'm with you. Like, I think free and open markets outcompete, uh, you know, regulated or highly restricted markets all the time. And you may be right. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm not. I'm not saying you're wrong. But their prominence, their prominence was based on this petrodollar system over the last. I know. I know. I know. All the, the system as it exists, they benefited tremendously from all the perversion and stuff like that. All I'm saying is, they got a billion three people. They have a highly, highly developed, you know, economy and and culture and you know, as developed as anywhere else. They have a highly educated population and they have a shit ton of natural resources. So if we're making the assertion that they're not going to ascend to that point simply because the political apparatus is asinine and is going to throw things off the rail, well, that may be true, but I don't know if that's true forever. I mean, they can shrug off a a revolution can shrug off a political apparatus and something else can be put in its place. Right. So, so on Bitcoin, it might actually, it might happen, but on Bitcoin, it wouldn't look like that. It wouldn't look like political apparatus so what you're actually saying is is where are the best people giving value and where are they creating value you're not talking about china itself like the political apparatus today today and so when we think of these nations we think about the political apparatus and the thing that gives rights and freedoms to to people or doesn't Mm -hmm. and 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 why you can just really simply why communism can't work or that social that, that centralized control can't work is because we can't predict what we will do given new new uh uh new value right so i i was sure hundred percent sure that I would use a Blackberry forever. And, and when the Apple came out and I thought it was a, uh, the iPhone came out and I thought it was a toy, I told all my friends, I'm not getting that. And then I, mm. and I used one of my friends, I said, and I, and, and the next day I had an iPhone. Um, and so the delivery of creating that iPhone that happened three years before that in somebody's mind that I never saw, never saw mm. the three years, nor could I predict my behavior. If you have something centralized, you cannot you you cannot get that behavior because you're having to put every you're having to make all the decisions for everybody, and and our living standards come from solving problems in the free market that we don't know we have until they're there, right? Yeah. Two. It's so in, two, it's two responses to that. It's incongruent with nature. I yeah. I totally agree. So yeah. I just have two responses. The the one is that. I hear a lot of takes on China and a lot of them probably aren't as informed as boots on the ground for a decade. Like, so command control economy, five-year plans, all that kind of stuff. Yes, to some degree, but within that, a tremendous degree of free enterprise and a tremendous degree of entrepreneurialism and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, like they can innovate and there can, you know, you're not stifling innovation to the degree that's sometimes asserted, right? That's, but I just wanted to get, that point out of the way. But my second answer is the reason why I'm no longer there. The reason why I left in 2018 is because once I really grokked Bitcoin, I was like, 
oh, my assertion about how history is going to play out by, by looking at the past of history and nation states and the geopolitical situation over the last hundred plus years, that's all kind of out the window now because yeah. of what Bitcoin represents. And that geopolitical dynamic is going to change dramatically from what we see today. And that, that means for everybody too, US, China, Europe, like it, it's all up for grabs now. And it's all going to be very different than we ever anticipated prior to Bitcoin being on the scene. In my opinion, Lowry. that's it. I'll just say Jason Lowry over to you guys. So, so just really <laughs> quickly on, on what you said though, uh, John, because I spent a lot of time in China as well, a lot through that growth, uh, uh, uh growth, many, many cities been there it was, uh, in China was there a lot. And what, what we don't see is because we measure in such short time intervals is we don't see when we're in a local maximum and we're measuring it as a new normal. <clears throat> And it's a local maximum. And in, in that local maximum, you can have, so if you have a massive debt bubble or if you have massive credit expansion, which China had the greatest in history, right? The greatest growth in, 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 in history. And you have an open market to open it up that um, all of the things that you said ha are, are going to be true. But when that creates distortions in the market, Mm -hmm. under a socialist uh, under a communist government you have to take it back and as you take it back and you so so in vancouver there's a lot of chinese right now not going back because the um and they've moved here they're they're not going back and and one of them was the first investor in in uh, musically which turned into tiktok um and so i don't know if he's going back um because because there's risk on going back now it looks and, and so now as you impose that and you take that capital away as, as you redistribute it um, because you have to, you centralize that control. And do people, do people take that chance again? Yeah, so, no, I, I, so I agree I, with I, I totally agree with you for I, a time. It can look like it's uh, and even, even for a time, a command and control uh, society for a time can operate faster. Yeah. And I think the, and I, and I think there were a whole bunch of people deluded over because they looked at that growth and they misattributed it. They misattributed that it would happen forever. Exactly. It can happen for a time. Yeah, no, I, I agree with all that. And the, the poor demographic situation and the protectionism that's likely coming and all that kind of stuff is going to fuck with their shit technical term. Right. But um, I think, the degree to which a, that, that situation prevails in China, like broadly speaking, Western commentators tend to overestimate, in my view, how overbearing like the control of the economy is in China and dramatically underestimate how overbearing it, it is in the West. I agree. Right? Like, look at all the intervention we're getting via the central bank and via fiscal through, you know, all the different government bodies throughout Europe and America and beyond. Like they, under, there is under, so... under, underprinted money, the systems are right. remarkably similar. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so if everyone's, I don't want to say even playing field, but if everyone is highly distorted, let's say, and there's a lot of intervention in these systems, then what, by what metric are we really assessing these, the, the future prospects of these regions, let's say. And so my only point was large population, lots of natural resources, highly educated and motivated population. Now the system that they've been forced to operate within may have been artificial and may crumble. And that's going to mean people are put in a very difficult situation, but I think that's the case in many parts of the world. So the real juicy question is one, 
how hard are those like the those government apparatuses or the, those governments going to try to fight to hold on to what they've built? You know, how much, to, Jeff, to your point, you have to make to what, how much oppression is there going to be? Like to what degree does it get? And, and Preston, as you say, maybe like this COVID lockdown policy is, is, is that already is, is part of that. And to what extent are they going to fight Bitcoin as a result? Because at a certain point, I think they're, they're going to realize that it may not be China versus the U.S., it may be people, you know, these types of apparatuses of governance and power versus this thing that is dissolving it rapidly and providing people an exit that they can no longer control. And so I don't know what's going to happen, but my thesis of moving to Shanghai when I was 22, because I thought it was going to be the New York of the 21st century, is I left because I no longer think that's going to be the case. Because as and to Foss's point, Bitcoin, Bitcoin's my country now. That's the economy I want to be in. Those are the people I want to interact with. Those are the, I mean, that's, I identify more with that than anything. And, and that's the place where there's going to be opportunity and where there's going to be, you know, just flourishing of various kinds, individually, culturally, uh, in every, in every domain. I think it's a, a genuine renaissance that's getting kickstarted and it's going to, the, the, the form and the way it's going to look is going to be so dramatically different than the nation state model that we now have. Now, again, I don't know if we'll all be around to see how, how far along that progression we'll be around to see, but it's just so foreign and it's, it's, it's such anathema to the existing systems of power, be it governance or financial. And there's a lot of change coming. And I, we seem to be, you know, the fuse has been lit, it seems in the last couple of years and we're, we're in it now and it's exciting. And what do you, what else do you say? I mean, to your point, Jeff, like you just want to, you want yourself to be as involved as possible and you want to try to get other people to cross that bridge to, to see that a solution of this kind exists and to make the change for themselves, you know, before it's when too late. See, when you see people anywhere in the world, we think those those people in China are different or Bulgaria or El Salvador. And they're just all those frameworks or labels that we attach to people. When you actually meet the people, same hopes, dreams totally. uh, everywhere totally. in the world. Um, and the beautiful thing about this, this network is that's what it's doing. It's connecting all of those people. And once they yeah. detach from that system, they're immune. They're completely immune from getting turned on each other by the system. They see, they see, all of those other people that they know all over the world in this network that have the same hopes, dreams, and, and they see people on the other side of that instead of, um, instead of the kind of the, the system that's it has to divide people and turn people against each other to protect the, the, the system. So, um, and so I love the immunity that that gives mm. to people from that and the, assuming you can get a billion people on this network you avoid uh, um, two billion people on this network just as it's doing this you avoid the worst that that's going to come from the existing system i just wonder about the death throes i mean that's what we all wonder about right like how yep. how weird it's going to get as they try to preserve you know the existing system i just when i when i say they when you say they that's what i just i i we are they we don't realize like there, there, there is no, they, we, we, we fabricate and give these 
people we think are they that's just a system that's just reinforcing a, a, a system mm -hmm. that really isn't thinking like you're, you're, you're thinking we have the power we all all of us every single one of us moves over sees the world in a different way world changes and there there really isn't there there might be a couple people at the very top there might be uh there there or there and i and i i know i'm being kind of uh facetious in that because i know there's some evil there's also evil in the world too mm -hmm. but we give it too much strength when it has no strength without us giving it strength i i totally agree i know what you mean and in this instance i just mean literally in those moments of people deciding how do we preserve our position and power vis-a-vis -vis this thing that's taking away from us so in that yeah. moment even though the they that they are could just as easily become you know could change their mind effectively yeah. so i i agree with you it's just people following their incentives making decisions that they mostly <laughs> totally. think are good and just either being right or wrong, let's say, and even that is a judgment that we're making. But in there will be cases where an existing government, let's say, or whatever, tries to keep control of things. And again, even in a benevolent sense, hey, things are chaotic. How do we control things? Well, we should you know, not let people do this, and we should normalize for this, and we should prohibit that because that's how we retain order. And so in that case, they are a they who's who's kind of opposed to uh, allowing things to find its level more naturally. But I I agree with your broader point. Why I love why I love just digging into that a little bit. Just the they you're thinking about. Just so when people are, it's not for you as much as but the people listening to this, the they you're thinking about in that in let's say the government apparatus and the mm. top people in government. If you're saying that that look at look at Z's the whole whole group right right it is a tiny number of people a totally. tiny number of people and what the what the data says what the research says if three percent of the population just stood up and said we're not taking this anymore that tiny group of people fail mm -hmm. but people but three percent of the people never stand up because they stay as the hidden majority they, they they stay hidden because they're so worried about the consequences of standing up yeah but here's the beauty of bitcoin Right. You don't have to stand they up. They don't even have to stand up. They just have to nonviolent. You walk just across. sneak in that little orange tunnel. <laughs> you, you just walk across and now 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 you have all the power. Yeah. A hundred percent. hundred percent. And that's that's why this is unstoppable. Because yep. people will just follow that incentive. At some point the the lightning bolt the light bulb will go off. They'll do it. They'll increasingly do it the more they understand it. They'll and as we discussed at the beginning they'll begin to change the way they think, the way they act, the way they plan, the way they, you know, create value, what they demand in a market. And that'll be reflected. People, other people in their life will be able to see that they'll become another, you know, node in that network effect. And this is how the efficiency of that parallel economy just really starts to ramp up and ramp up and ramp up. And to a point where it reaches an economic mass and a, and a mass of people and, and scale, we're like, you know, we, it, it could take us 20 years to get to that tipping point. And then it could take one for the rest of the world to be online because it's become so evident that it's more beneficial in every conceivable way to be in that system than the prior one. Good. We all agree on that one. <laughs> all right. Let me, let me ask you a couple more before I let you guys go. Um, interesting things 
and I think we all share an interest in Bitcoin mining and, you know, how fascinating that story is unfolding in terms of its influence on, on energy markets and grids. And, you know, of course, the role it's going to play in reducing energy waste and allowing us to harness and use more energy, you know, collectively as humanity and how beneficial that's going to be. And of course, how upside down the the mainstream narrative is on that. Um, but when Bitcoin's price is down for a prolonged period and a lot more people are plugging in ASICs, we, you know, it becomes a difficult situation for miners. And especially in the public domain, it looks like things are getting really tough for for some of them. So I just wondered if you guys had thoughts on Bitcoin mining and and what lies ahead. Foss, you go for it. Yeah. So, you know, you know, uh, my relationship with Validus Power and we host uh, a publicly traded miner, uh, Hot 8. <clears throat> I, I've never been secretive about my feeling that Bitcoin mining as a standalone business is, is a very tough business. It's actually a horrible business because you don't control your input costs, which is energy, and you don't control your output price. That's set by the market. So you are a hostage at both sides of your business model. And the solution to that is, in my opinion, it's a vertical integration where you actually control the energy source, whether it's a waterfall like Obi's doing in Kenya with these water wheels and everything that don't disturb the environment. They can also power a village, but mine Bitcoin. That's the economic uh, incentive is to mine Bitcoin. Or you own a peaker plant like we do that, peaks to grid, but you need to have a vertical slice because the, the Bitcoin mining at the nozzle is a, uh, is a tough business. And we're seeing that with core scientific, uh, over levered, uh, but you saw it with Northern data. Uh, you're seeing it with some of the publicly traded miners. Uh, it's, it's filtering out the, uh, the, the properly managed companies versus the, uh, uh, you know, less properly managed, but here's the crazy thing. And this, I, I will put my foot down here. I don't think holding Bitcoin on the balance sheet of Bitcoin miners, just because you think that's what people want to be able to have exposure to the asset via a Bitcoin mining stock is the right way to manage the risk of that company. Um, you know, everyone brags, well, we have, uh, we've never sold, we've never sold a coin. Uh, look then, you're a horrible risk manager because they, they were trading four or three and a half times higher and you have real fiat-based costs in your business, the fiduciary responsibility of those managers is to maximize gains at a minimum risk. And each of the stakeholders in that company have the choice of holding Bitcoin themselves rather than having it held through a corporation and acting as some sort of uh, you know, Bitcoin treasury or, or anything like that. You're not Michael Saylor. It's a much more volatile business. You don't have the benefit of a stable business and then a Bitcoin treasury. You have a very unstable, poor business. So the answer to you, John, I think in the future, the business I see is a vertical integration where let's take energy. You take the molecule from the ground, you mine it, you own that process, and then you distribute it at the top of the funnel that will disintermediate the current TradFi system. Oh my God, that is an exciting vertical slice. But just owning the piece right in the center, that's too risky from both ends and the market will flush it out. Um, I was talking with Jeff, obviously, on, the, uh, uh, on our trip and we're talking about opportunities that are presenting itself. 
Uh, I spent my life in the distressed debt markets. I mean, this gets me excited. When I can buy a dollar for 40 cents, uh, that, that gets me pretty excited. By the way, the 40 cents is going to go down to 25 cents before it goes back to 100 cents on the dollar. So don't get over your skis, people. There's a flush that's coming. And uh, hey, creative destruction, that is capitalism at its beautiful core. And we're witnessing it now with, uh, you know, poor management. Shout out to Fred Thiel, though. He was on a, on a Spaces conversation with uh, Swan Bitcoin. Uh, he came on to answer questions from the audience. Jeff Ross uh, asked three very pointed questions. He handled it like a champ. Uh, there's good managers and there's poor managers. Um, sometimes you just are in a shitty business and it doesn't matter how good a manager you are if you are captive to your worst competition, right? And that's sort of some of the problems they have. So tough business, there will be some blood on the streets. Guys like me, I smile when that happens. I hate to say it, but that's what happens. You have to take advantage of poorly allocated capital at the wrong price. And that included mom and pop retail that said, hey, I don't want to buy Bitcoin at a $10,000 price. I'll buy this penny stock at three bucks because it's way cheaper. Now, you didn't learn your math. You're going to lose your stack. Do it properly. I love all that. <laughs> I do. I, I think he's just spitting truth bombs at people. It's, it's, it's funny to me because I've had the same thing asked of me about like, retaining Bitcoin on the balance sheet. And it's just like, well, what's your expense structure of, of what comes through the, do the door on a monthly basis and what's it denominated in? And if you're not carrying, you know, if your working capital isn't denominated in that, in whatever that expense structure is, well, I don't know what to tell you. That's just like as, as basic as it gets. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just one thought on the mining, it's, it's really quite simple. You got to find a source that's giving you like super, super cheap energy. It's really that simple. If if you can do that, you got a massive competitive moat that's going to help you out. If you match that with operational excellence of of uh, selling rigs after you've had them for so long and upgrading them at, at like very strategic moments in time and not getting too far over your ski tips and in, in in debt that is that is in not fixed rate terms but th that's that's variable. Um, you should you should crush it. But the problem, like any time, is some people try to grow faster than than their competence. <laughs> the well, pressure of money, yeah, right? And, 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 Sorry, yeah. Jeff. Just, just here's the pressure of money. People, they were throwing money at these people. They took it at the wrong price and then invested it at the wrong price. Anyway, over to right. you, Jeff. Yeah, no, but fear and greed drives all markets, right? And 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 what ends up happening specifically in in Bitcoin mining is. Uh, uh, is it's counter cyclical and you have to sell you have to you have to sell when everybody else is buying and you have to buy when everybody else is selling and it's really hard to sell your winners when everybody's wanting to give you more money um it's that that's that's the, th the thing that makes it so diff difficult but the advantage that's actually why bitcoin miners like remember when these bitcoin miners were, were growing at this this rate that everyone well bitcoin mining is going to be centralized and you, you, you kind of laugh at that because it won't be because of this exact same thing. It just kind of keeps on ha happening. In fact, the Bitcoin mining incentivizes um, the new players without the baggage 
that are searching for different energy, uh, uh, cheaper energy or abandoned energy with new ASICs that they can actually make more money. So there is no, there is no moat you can build around. There's no huge moat you can build around a monopoly company in the in this and if you think there is that's what i think that's why you say greg it's a bad business it's not a bad business you just have to be you have to think opposite to what the market wants to take you you have to you you have to be you have to be so disciplined in if you're going to do do this business because you're going effectively you're going to miss the very top right because you're going to sell too early um, and people, and, and then people say, what are you doing? Why are you missing the top? Right. That, but that's one of the greatest <clears throat> investors I've ever followed. They asked him what, to what did you attribute your success? And his answer was, I always sold too early. Yeah. Think about that though. <laughs> yeah. Like there is bulls, bears, and pigs, right? And <laughs> bulls make money, bears make money, pigs get slaughtered. Everyone's a pig when Bitcoin's at 70,000, no, no, you got to go against that. You got to take the harvest your gains. And, uh, you know, it's all about living to fight another day. Um, you know, here is the cool thing. Bitcoin mining cumulatively, the market value of Bitcoin mining is maybe, maybe a couple of billion dollars publicly traded companies. It's nothing. It's so, it's so insignificant, right? But there was misallocation of capital and uh, a six miners, you know, you're going to get them at uh, 15,000 bucks a terahash right now, you know, it's uh, or you know, 15 it's, it's at the end of the day, these are uh, markets that all are linked supply demand. It's beautiful. Go ahead, Preston. Oh, so you were talking about not selling your winners. I recently read something that I, I loved. So this was Peter Lynch. Uh, he wrote this. I'm just going to read this to you guys. My biggest mistake was that I always sold stock way too early. In fact, I got a call from Warren Buffett back in 1989. My daughter picks up the phone and says, it's Mr. Buffett on the line. And I pick up the phone and I hear, this is Warren Buffett from Omaha, Nebraska. You know, he talks fast and I love your book, One Up on Wall Street. And I want to use a line from it in my year-end report. I have, I, I'm sorry. He says, I have to have it. Can I please use it? So Peter Lynch says, I said, sure. What's the line? Buffett says, selling your winners and holding your losers is like cutting flowers and watering the weeds. And then Peter Lynch says, that one line he picked up in the whole book has been my greatest mistake in my entire career. <laughs> it's human nature, though. Um, you want to go to the cocktail parties. You want to tell people how much money you made on this stock. You never talk yeah. about all the money you're still losing by holding your losers, right? And that's what you do. You survive. You survive by doing the actual opposite. You survive by selling your losers and harvesting your winners. But when you're managing a Bitcoin mining company, matching revenues and expenses in a fiat, you can't be holding this thing forever because the volatility of that asset will, when you need it most, markets will move in the direction that causes the most pain to the most people. That's why Bitcoin miners are experiencing what they are experiencing because too many of them tried to become a Bitcoin derivative rather than managing the business and extracting value and crystallizing that value and returning potentially that value to their shareholders in the form of dividends 
Preston, so that the shareholders could turn around and say, hey, guess what? Now I'm going to buy Bitcoin with those dividends. But that's my decision, not the decision of the management to make that to make that choice for me. Yep. All right. A couple more and then we'll shut this down. A couple quick ones. Elon Musk took control of Twitter. Actually, when we had this conversation six months ago, he was making all the, you know, overtures that he was going to take it over fully, take it private. And here we are six months later. It took took that long to get it done. Um, what do you think is going to be the impact of that? Thoughts on the news? About, apart from the insane fact that his censorship czar, whatever she was called, was making $17 million a year. Did you guys see that? Yeah. How obscene yeah, is that? Anyways, thoughts on on the, the Musk takeover and Twitter, what it means for whatever. Why don't you go ahead? I'm curious what you guys think about Elon getting too far over his ski tips. Yeah, this. go ahead, yeah. Jeff. Jeff and I talked about this on. Uh, if well, you, if... I, I put a uh, tweet out when he first announced this and I said he will he he won't close if the Fed tightens. He'll only close if the Fed because because what that means for him, like if you if you think about what he paid, what's it? What should the stock be worth right now in this market? Fifteen dollars. And so um, and so. So what he paid for this company um, and how much he leveraged his own stock um, and, 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 and debt around this, if the Fed keeps tightening, it's a huge risk. It's a, that's why Tesla's selling down. That's why like it's a, it, uh, it, you know, he, he won't go to zero, I, I, I suspect, but there could be a lot of pain coming for this whole. Uh, he has a billion thing. dollars of annual interest expense, right? $13 billion of debt that, uh, you know, you put an eight coupon on that, which is low. And that's why the banks can't sell it. But that's a billion dollars a year of interest expense. Uh, that's not a free cash flow generating yeah. machine. And, um, it's, and, keep, it's, and, and, and keep going with that. And then now you have two businesses that start, do, start doing that and they take you down further because tesla itself if if demand collapses it starts to that 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 itself it you won't get the same growth you have all those uh, uh, these expenses and if de- demand collapses if you create a demand collapse that could be that could be a lot of pain coming that being said i'm a fan of his uh, management style go and clean house and man yeah. did he ever go in there like a uh who walks into a building with a kitchen sink in their hands or a bathroom sink? I mean, that, that guy, he, he actually has a lot of flair, right? You got oh, to totally, admit, the, sure. totally. the guy is, uh, he is, he's one of a kind and man, he is, uh, on the one hand, uh, you know, he paid too much on the other hand, he's been through, but we're all happy before. he did it. Right. I mean, it was such a oh. shit show and like, at least he's going to bring something different and presumably something better because it's hard to imagine that some of the problems that they were experiencing could get worse with him in charge but you know just just shaking it up because i just know, especially the last two years yeah, we've I, been through the the ringer with I, how the censorship and how crazy everything has been I, I can't wait till this is rebuilt on a decentralized but i can't wait till it's peer-to-peer on on bitcoin and it's going to be like the stack is going to be rebuilt onto something that's better now maybe he does that mm. but uh but all of these types of it's a fiat world that is building these things that look like this and it and and more and more printing it it consolidates that power uh, more and then you have a whole bunch of people that look at those people that are on top 
and they think, wow, these are, these people are brilliant. They're the best business minds ever, but those, those businesses wouldn't have existed without the fiat. They wouldn't have existed certainly without. And and so it's, he's, he's a really great entrepreneur, but we also have to realize that, that that is coming from that. And, and the new system is going to replace a lot of this. Mm -hmm. So John, to Jeff's first point, which was about the price he paid, you know, one of my favorite quotes, price is what you pay, value is what you get. And in this scenario, he paid top dollar when, when he negotiated the price, he paid top dollar before a lot of these macro factors really started kind of stepping into the market. Greg telling you that his interest expense alone being a billion dollars. So to cover that, it's, it's kind of similar to the situation that all these uh, uh, government treasuries are in. Um, let's just look at the numbers. Uh, Twitter, 2020, net income after tax, negative $1.1 billion. 2021, net income after tax, their profit after tax, negative $221 million, right? Go, the, the first half of this year, they actually had a, po- a positive net income, 200, about $250 million after uh, right up to the, the sale. So you have to ask yourself, if this guy, and let's just, uh, let's just double that. Let's say, let's say they make 500 million. Let's say they make a billion this year in, in positive net income. The entire thing's going to service, service the debt, just the interest expense. That's crazy. So what you have is a situation where it's a, if you've ever seen the, the Leroy Jenkins video, where they're all standing outside. Have you guys seen this video? Am I, am I using an example that nobody even understands? Keep going. <laughs> yeah. Can you describe it a bit more? Yeah. So, so all these, these guys that play like these online video games and they're, it's like this collective, I have no idea what you call this stuff, but they've got like their broad swords and they're like all, and they're getting ready to go in and fight like all these monsters and they're standing outside and they're there talking about what to do and how this person's going to use this kind of magic and this person's going to use whatever. And this random guy who's playing with these 20 other people, he, he just yells his name, which was Leroy Jenkins. He said, Leroy Jenkins. And he goes running in and just created this disaster. Everybody got slaughtered and uh, it was shared. I mean, this is a, this is a pretty, uh, this is a pretty highly shared meme. I'm surprised you haven't seen this. Um, but anyway, that's the environment that, that uh, Elon's walking into here. He has set himself up for the most challenging environment possible because of the price that he's paying in, in an environment that's just going berserk with respect to interest expense and all sorts of things, right? So that's what he's up against. And, uh, and it's not like he doesn't have some other irons in, in the oven. Right? Like this guy, I don't, I don't know how he could possibly do all of this and, yeah. and do it well. So with all of that said, I think the this board and many other boards are completely compromised to Wall Street and Wall Street elites that are aligned with the WEF. And I know it sounds like a total tinfoil hat uh, type thing, but um, when you when you look at who's calling the shots in an organization, it all starts with the board. And if all of that, if all of those voting rights for the governance of these boards has been so decentralized 
that nobody can vote themselves the direction of the company whatsoever. And that the big banks that sit on all these big ETFs and mutual funds and you name it, hold a majority of the voting rights. Well, what you're effectively doing, who's running that company? Well, Larry Fink's running that company. The people at BlackRock, Vanguard, you name it, that go fly over to Davos and talk about you know, how, how terrible the environment is as they're flying in, in their Gulf Stream over there. They're the ones that are coming up with these policies in, inside of these companies. And if you think that them holding a big key position in these media distribution uh, platforms is an accident, it's not. So the reason they're so upset that this guy comes in like Leroy Jenkins, right, and buys it out from underneath of them and fires every single person. And, and those board, you know, those 30, well, they're older than that. I looked at the board members and you wouldn't believe how many of those board members were also on big pharma boards. You wouldn't believe it, right? I wouldn't be surprised, so, but I know, I know what you're saying. They are. <laughs> yeah. they are. I looked it up. Yeah. Um, and so when you're looking at the censorship that was happening, especially with respect to the big pharma stuff, it should come as no surprise that all these people were put into these jobs getting paid. Hey, if you're paid $17 million, shut your mouth and we'll tell you what the censor. She's mm-hmm. there and on her head. All right. So how to what extreme that was happening? I don't know. But I'll tell you one thing. Man, did it stink. Man, did mm-hmm. it stink. And I'm thrilled that Elon's going in there. Now, my concerns with Elon, if I'm trying to be balanced, right? He has an enormous presence over in China, right? They could, they could wreak havoc on his Tesla position over there, right? So now it's like, okay, so, so is he a free person to, to do what he wants? I don't know. Mm-hmm. You're only as free as, as, as what you're willing to and, and able to say in public and who you're able to speak out against. And so I, I don't know. I think, there's, I think there's a whole lot more complexity there than, than some of us would like to admit. Um, but am I glad that the previous board of directors and, and control freaks that were there are gone? You better believe I am. I'm thrilled. Well said. Basically, my thoughts exactly on the situation. And I like, I, what, Gigi, uh, I like what Gigi says. Bitcoin's going to slay all your heroes. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's, the, that, that, that's the point. It, it just, um, because, because if, if you're consolidating that much power in anybody, you could love the person they're going to, if all of your, if you are on their platform and they change your mind, their, their mind about something, your life changes. It's just too much risk for any one person to, to have that type of, that type of control and any central bank or any, it's, a, it's the same thing. And so th- what I love about Bitcoin is it forces you uh, to that, um, that it slays your heroes. Somebody's yeah. already tweeted out the Leroy Jenkins video. I'm tagging all three of you. <laughs> okay, awesome. You have to watch this. You have to watch this. I think, are you doing it now? Is, is it the one where he goes in with the, uh, the uh, paint gun? It's the dumb. No, this it's is the dumb? dumbest thing you're ever going to watch, but okay. you're going to laugh and you're going to say, you know what? This is perfectly representative of Elon Musk right now. It's right. <laughs> okay. So I just, I haven't looked at it because I'm on this, but I see it now and I, I'm, I'm going to watch I'll it. I'll check it I've after. Never yeah. it. I've never seen it. The, oh, Preston. <laughs> yeah. You're going to laugh. Oh my God. Yeah. No, the, it's you know, so having a, I think Sailor referred to Elon once as the 800 pound gorilla or something like that. That just, you know, he's coming in and shaking things up and, uh, 
who knows what what the outcome of that is going to be but i think a lot of us are just happy that there's someone who's you know maybe not perfect maybe beholden to interests that are going to you know force his hand in certain regards but most likely better than you know the existing state that things were in and you know so i'm i'm hopeful in that regard all right two more and i'll let you guys go this mostly for the canucks on this one but uh pierre polyev recently got the leadership of the conservative party i don't follow anything up in canada um other than having noted that so foss booth what's the situation up there is canada going to make it or should we be shorting the hell out of everything we can short up there um our policy is under Trudeau or completely the wrong policy. Uh, most people, I don't have to say that in Bitcoin, Shocking. but just even from an economic policy, just disastrous um, uh, for our country. Um, and and I and I so I think Pierre has a has a really high chance of winning. And you think it'll be? We'll have to wait until twenty twenty five for that to happen. Uh, who knows? You like uh, you. Um, you, you see the NDP starting to break from from um, from Trudeau, and so so it might it might happen before that. I'd concur. Um, the problem is that it's still going to be settled. The Greater Toronto Area is still going to settle any for, uh, federal election. That's just the way our electoral map is set up. So uh, uh, there's going to be a lot of change. Uh, positive things that are happening. Uh, education is getting out there. Negative things that are happening is um, Trudeau still controls essentially the, the core of uh, the greater Toronto area or liberals. And uh, that is their base. And that will, you know, could cause the election to swing. I heard some rumors today. I can't share it publicly, but uh, if this uh, potential uh, disclosure about Trudeau comes out, um, it could really shake up the whole uh, uh, spectrum that being said, uh, uh, I'm a huge fan of Pierre's. Uh, we haven't talked since the trucker uh, incident in Canada. I think uh, I do maintain conversations with some of his cabinet ministers and and the like, and they're doing the work they have to do to uh, to try and put Canada back back on the the right course. The question is, have we you know caused too much damage at this point to uh, to right the ship, Mike? I follow this lightly. Um, my concern with Pierre is he, uh, when he talks in public, he talks a lot about austerity measures and how broke the spending is and all that stuff, which is great. Um, the challenge that you've, that you've got for him is he's, if he's going to run, win, and then be effective, he's going to have to bridge some of that uh, austerity away from, from the talking points. And he's going to have to put fiat into the system to grease the skids to the new uh, financial system that, that we all know is, is being stood up in parallel. Anybody who's going to come in with a hard line stance of just hardcore austerity, it's not going to go over well. He's going to be a one-term person. It's not going to mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. So he needs, he needs to be very smart about how he's doing that because it's very politically popular because you've had the exact stream, extreme opposite in power for quite a while now, and everybody's sick of it. And everybody's saying we need to be responsible and Pierre's that guy, but he also has to, to understand that if you take all the oil out of the engine and it seizes up, you might actually be in a worse scenario than where you were before. He knows, uh, he knows that Preston. The question is, can he, and, 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 and 
and also probably why he's gone more quiet on Bitcoin right now. If you have 99% of the population that doesn't understand Bitcoin, mm. then yeah. you can't lead with that right, uh, right, yep. right now. You, you have to build a bridge to be to get broadly elected. But he, he understands how both systems work um, and, and, what, uh, and what this looks like on a transition. I, now, now can he get broadly elected? Can he, yeah. can he go to the middle to get broadly elected? Yep. You know, I, I saw the CBC did a, during the leadership debates, I saw the intro to it, you know, so they, they shoot, they, they, they move to one of the, the speakers and they give like a little sound bite and they do that for all five of them. And then they go into the intro and then into the debate and every single one, and it's supposed to be like a broad sampling of, Oh, these are the de debate people. And uh, every single one was uh, one of the potential leaders criticizing Pierre about his Bitcoin take every single one, you know, it had nothing the, the segment wasn't about Bitcoin or anything. It was just about the debate and every single, and of course the CBC is biased and they know they're going to lose funding under Pierre, And, you know, nobody has to, everyone knows that they're very biased toward the government slash liberal party. But um, I just thought it was so much of it up there. So overt, you know, the bias in the media and the, oh, yeah. the pandering to the liberals. It's just, I, I mean, it blows my mind that anyone up there is, Somehow still this, though, so supporting John. someone like Trudeau. I mean, oh, well, you can't even, you couldn't even make a faker robot if you tried, you know, like yeah. a more disingenuous virtue signaling. Oh man. Every time I hear him speak, I'm like, God, this is Bitcoin, Bitcoin is up. Bitcoin is up 70 fold since Trudeau was first elected. So <laughs> you got to get that talking point through. <laughs> focus on the long term. It's up 70 fold since but again Trudeau was elected and and these are all well like we know this but that oh yeah that doesn't play like for the 99 percent. yeah just it just now he's it, got a job in front of him to thread that exactly. needle you know yeah. what preston was saying i mean i wouldn't want that job no isn't sure. that about the right answer God, no good luck to you kid i mean <laughs> you know it's uh i'll do whatever i can to help but uh man that's a big uh that's a big uh uh you know a big ask totally that's a mask. Um, all right, gents, shall we do a, a final sign off here? Was there anything that you guys uh, have been thinking about or focusing on that you wanted to touch real estate midterms, anything juicy like that? The floor is yours, I, Jeff or Foss. Why don't you go? First? I'll start. Yeah. I think this uh, uh, very important November 2nd fed uh, announcement uh, go in with your eyes wide open, define what you would determine as a potential pivot. If they don't pivot, then the geopolitical risks that Jeff is talking about are very real because the financial destruction is assured if they don't pivot. Uh, or yeah, again, define, does it, is, a, is a 75 basis point hike and then a pause a form of a pivot? Here's what I want to bring out that we haven't hit on. Everyone talks about this 2% inflation target that the Fed has I predict they move that to four to five percent, claim victory, and reshape the entire uh, messaging around an inflation target that is four percent annualized versus the two percent annualized. It could be a short-term solution. Uh, Luke Groman is talking about uh, talking about that. I, I I talked about it in Madeira with Jeff and Larry Lapard. Uh, we are in a very serious time right now. The risk markets are balancing on the head of a pin. 
All it will take is a large systemically important financial institution. They call them SIFIs. All it will take is one SIFI to be uh, under siege, whether it's a Deutsche Bank or a Credit Suisse. And then we'll really see the financial system gum up. So uh, November 2nd, big day. Um, if the U.S. doesn't pivot and there is a geopolitical agenda on the other side, uh, man, oh, man, we have worked really hard for a, a, a global uh, system where the Fed is going to blow it up. Uh, you know, every time everybody said, no, they'll never do that. They'll always taper. Well, maybe this is the time they don't. I don't care because all paths lead to Bitcoin, but I do care because there's a less painful way of us getting there. Um, I hope we don't end up egging China on to uh, start a war over Taiwan or egging Russia on to start using conventional nuclear weapons. Uh, these are part of the you know Pentagon's potential arsenal. So don't get too over your skis, people. There's an old uh, trading adage, don't uh, risk not that risk not thy entire wad. Okay, remember those. <laughs> risk not thy entire wad. Words to live by. Yeah, mine is uh, how I think about this, and uh, I need to understand kind of all of the different uh, possibilities or probabilities, and then increase the probabilities over time, and and just how bad that gets. I need to understand it, and I just spend a lot of time. But then I need to, I can't do anything to stop that. So then I just tune out all of the noise mm. because it's going to, I, like, because it, it, it's just going to keep happening. It's going to get worse and worse all over. And it doesn't really matter which one it is. The Fed pivot to here or then it's later. It doesn't really matter. This system's going to fail one way or another. Um, and, and then I focus on the builders <clears throat> where I can make a difference, where I can, uh, where, where, accelerate Bitcoin adoption, which makes the biggest difference. Totally. I don't have anything other than bring it home, Preston, bring <laughs> us to that Leroy, whatever you were saying, that Leroy just need Jenkins to watch, or whatever. Just need to watch the Leroy Jenkins video. <laughs> and, uh, realize that it's representative of everything that's happening right now. <laughs> Um, but that's going to be my homework and then I'm going to bed. So uh, yeah, 60, me too. 60 year old, old man out, up here uh, enjoying spending a Saturday or Friday night with you gents. So uh, I wish I well, could, I wish I could hang around and just watch you two laugh your tail off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say this. I like you, uh, Jeff. I mean, it, as you say, a lot of this is inevitable and how, how much does it matter that you get the timing right or you're focused on the right thing? And if, if your thesis is not going to change regardless, i.e. if you're just going to stack as many sats as possible and contribute as much as possible to, to Bitcoin, then it doesn't matter much. And that, you know, that's how I've been living my life for a while now. And which is why I like to hang out with you guys intermittently and set up these calls, because at least I get to you know, toss around them, some of these macro ideas. I know you guys, you know, follow it. And uh, I get to air out that that part that I've been neglecting because at a certain point it becomes, well, it, it it's almost, what's the rational thing to do? Is it rational to pay so such fine attention to what the bureaucrats and the financiers and the central bankers and all them are doing and saying and what Justin Trudeau is? I mean, it's just more and more irrelevant as you, 
as you spend more time in the in the Bitcoin realm, right? There and, is, and so there you... is one there is one piece that is relevant for maybe a lot of people. I want to know. So I think about and uh, uh, I think you, me, and Gigi talked about this geographical arbitrage. Right. Okay? Right. Where is my family safe? Where mm-hmm. can I go? What uh, if this event happens? Am I prepared for that event? Totally. And and what and what would that look like? And 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 so I just want to make sure then then I can put it out of my mind. Mm-hmm. And I can say, okay, if this happens, this is what's happened. This was, uh, and and you have effectively teaching your young children how to get out of the house if there's a fire, mm-hmm. right? And you don't think about there's going to be a fire all the time, but you know that there's a plan in case there's a fire. I just, I think about that. In yes, this, and that's in, that's totally <clears throat> prudent contingency planning. You know, absolutely. Um, and you don't necessarily need to follow all the macro stuff to do that, right? Because as you say, you know, the thesis is going to play out in some shape or form at some point. And so, you know, if you have those things in place, then you're good. And again, you can refocus on the things that are increasingly relevant, which is, you know, presumably everything happening in Bitcoin land. Um, I have it. I have it. Jeff, the fire is at the back porch, buddy. Okay. It's come across the valley. It's lapping on your back porch. Okay. So <laughs> practice those escape uh, routes. Because when you think about macro right now, it, it, all of macro is is really when twelve people are going to press a button, right? Right. That, That's the, it. The entire, it's so in the entire macro world, and they and everybody waits, and none of them are qualified. Wait, waits they've on this never, day. They've never sat day. in a risk chair their entire <laughs> lives. They are academics, okay? That have never actually managed risk. That is the biggest uh, disturbing factor from my perspective. So you know. Getting a lawyer to run the world, you know, who you can't make this stuff up. You really can't make this stuff up. So but he wouldn't. It, it actually makes no difference because, he, like, would you want that job? Would would you, you put the best person in that role when he took that role? It's unsolvable. Why did he? Why did he take another term then? That is the crazy question. He should have left on a white horse uh, after his first term. So. Somebody actually understood the problem. There's no way they could possibly want to do that job for another. You would never take that job coming into this if you understood the problem. I agree. I agree. So it show it just shows it shows how little understanding of the problem is there the, the the top reaches of <laughs> of our institutions. Okay. Okay, boys. Thank well, you so much. That's a good one to finish on. Uh, thank Jen, you. Always I appreciate a it with you guys. Always it's always a fun to hang. Thank Until you. Until so the next much, one. Guys. Make sure you guys hey, do boys. Do your I'm watching it. <laughs> I'm watching it. <laughs> do it right now. All right, guys. Good night. Good night. Good night. Oh